I've, I've always said if they could just get the credit card to show up, or the charge on the credit card to show up as Kohl's Women's Separates, we could all buy anything we wanted to. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I want my bill to show me buying a bunch of women's underwear. Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to episode number 127 of the RC Roundtable. And uh, speaking of episode, uh, Lee, I think, reminded us that we started this in 2016 in May. Uh, so it means our fifth year anniversary is coming up in a couple of months. Creeping up. Oh, we're going to have a special extravaganzas with uh, <laughs> fire trucks and explosions and all kinds of stuff. Explosions, <laughs> I like that. So yeah. what's the fifth year thing? <laughs> the so, anniversary gift? Yeah. <laughs> Paper or something? I hope it's balsa. Silver? <laughs> balsa. <laughs> well, yeah, balsa is going to be worth as much as silver by <laughs> yeah, that time, like probably. Platinum. <laughs> All right, anyways, let's get the show on the road. Uh, Fitz Walker, and joining me is Lee Ray. <laughs> Hello. Hey, hello. Hello. Hi there. How are you? How you doing? All the personality oh. disorder at the moment. <laughs> and Terry Dunn hopefully just has one personality. Yep, just the one this time. Hi. Okay. And we have a special guest. We haven't had a guest in quite a while. And today joining us is Mr. Scott Black. Hi, guys. Thanks for the nice. invitation. I appreciate it. Welcome, Scott. It uh, comes from Skybench Models, and we, we look forward to uh, talking to you about your wonderful aero modeling company. Well, oh. I enjoy doing that. That'll be fun. Thank you. Fitz, uh, coming into well. this, I said there's no way you're going to screw up Scott's name, and you didn't, but you did screw up his business's name. Skybench well, Aerotech. Yes. <laughs> Models, Aerotech. Go ahead. You know, I'm sorry, Scott. Well, I was going to say the Aerotech name, I asked uh, the owner who started Skybench, Ray Hayes, years ago. I asked his family if they knew where the Aerotech came from or Skybench, and they, they didn't have the answers to that. So we'll, we'll, we're just going with it because that's, that's, uh, the company was owned by Ray Hayes for many years, and he passed away January a couple of years ago. And Ray and I had talked about someday when he retired, and someday when he was ready, I'd be interested in buying the company. And unfortunately, Ray got uh, cancer and passed away. And his, he, he's one of those guys, he didn't even tell his friends what was going on. And his wife called me a day after he passed away and said, Ray said to call you. We need to do something. So <laughs> it just kind of came out of the blue. And, and we were sad to see him go. But uh, that's, that's what started all this for me a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, we can scratch off one of my questions now because I was going to ask about the genesis of Skybench. That sounds like some 1950s popular mechanics article, yeah, or some yeah. new invention. But uh, well, he, now we know. He, he he had the company for about 25 years. Um, and a typical story that you hear in the hobby business, where one thing led to another, and before he knew it, he was making kits and then making new kits and selling more kits and. Um, the Skybench name is, I told my own family, it's, you know, our pond is fairly small, but it's, it's a big name in the radio control sailplane kit world because Ray had the copyrights to about 30 different designs, including the Olympic II, which was the, 
probably one of the more famous RC sailplanes. It was designed by, I believe, Renault and sold by Airtronics for many years. And uh, I think informally, a lot of people think that the Olympic II was probably the most built airplane over the last 20, 30 years in terms, or the most built sailplane, I should say, in the last 20 or 30 years. And uh, so that that was a lot of the attraction to Skybench was that he had some really neat designs that people are familiar with. Well, cool. I look forward to hearing more about that. And yeah. So we'll talk about some old sailplane designs, but okay. Fitz, why don't you uh, start us off by talking about new stuff? All right, so new stuff. A couple of things have popped up in the past week. Of course, the big announcement is a big plane. It's the, the big. big. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's the, uh, straight from House of Slytherin, is the Draco. <laughs> do you really say that? <laughs> you get the reference? Oh, uh, yeah, I do, but I just, like, I think it's kind of a negative, bit, but okay. You said it, not me. I always <laughs> wondered where he got that name. Yeah, because the name was like, Draco, where have I heard that before? Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, um, so, you guys know that, uh, this was accidentally released a few months ago, sort of? They had... Did you see hear about that? No, the accidentally. Yeah, um, this is of course eFly that apparently had made a public uh, a, a web page and people caught on to it talking about the Draco and everybody's got all the hot and bothered about it and then, and then eFly said no 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 it is a mistake the, the, don't don't look here don't look behind the curtains <laughs> and it quickly got rid of it or I guess somebody hit, hit published by accident and so they had, had intended to keep it secret a little bit longer but they, the secret got out a little earlier than expected and so. Uh, this is not a total surprise like your normal stuff that they have, uh, but still, it's still a lot of the details and stuff are is a big surprise. Uh, so of course we're talking about the famous and I guess infamous Draco, the highly modified uh, was it a, a Wilga two thousand? Yep, a, a Polish short takeoff and landing aircraft that was had actually quite an interesting history, and this one is uh, modeled after the highly modified Wilga from Mike. Daily is it, or Patey? Patey. Well, my handwriting is terrible. Mike Patey. <laughs> Are you were reading your own notes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember the name. It was like Mike something, and I didn't cross the T. Well, that uh, reading works. We'll take it. Mike. Everybody knows Mike. Yeah, <laughs> nobody Mike. knows his last name. <laughs> yeah. Yo, Mike. By uh, by Mike. Uh, so I, I did a little bit of research. It's an interesting history on uh, the real Draco. It, it's how I guess he had had a whale guy. And he sold it. And he got another one, and then. He had an engine out landing on it. The engine blew rod or something, and he decided to highly modify it because he thought it was underpowered anyways. And so he shoved a, a turboprop in the thing, and uh, the rest is history uh, until he crashed it. Uh, so, so we have a nearly 80-inch model uh, of the Draco. Uh, Two ohms. Yeah, two meters, and so I did some quick calculations, and that's just a, I think it's just about two inches shy of eighty inches. So it's it's a really big foamy. Three hundred dollars uh, a meter. <laughs> <laughs> that's how the pricing plays do. Yeah. Uh, so a quick rundown of some of the features I, I I took note of. Of course, it's got functional shocks, some really neat double piston shocks on each wheel. Uh, it's got. Uh, all kinds of lighting, including interior lighting. I don't know if you guys saw that, but there's a video they hmm. turned lights down and the dashboard was lit up. Um, interesting enough, it'll take four 26S. Uh, that's, that's impressive. That but you got to change props. Very. 
Oh, do you? Yeah, the okay. stock four blade prop is good for 4S. If you want to go up, you got to change props. Oh, really? Okay. So it is a nice looking four blade prop, but that's. So you can't use a four blade on 6S? Uh, I don't think so. Hmm, interesting. Although it does have a 100 amp speed controller that has reverse capability in it. Yep. So they had a video of it landing and then, like, suddenly coming to a stop and backing up slightly. So I thought that was pretty neat. Um, what else am I missing? Um, did I mention it's big? <laughs> you might have brought that up, yeah. <laughs> have I missed now, anything else? You guys I, have notes well, of anything? Well, a peanut gallery jumping in here, but I, I've seen the videos on Facebook. I'm, I fly powered airplanes and have some filmies myself, and I was I was really surprised by how scale it was. I mean, it, it's like every single detail. So it's, it's impressive. by the way, so was so was Mike. Because <laughs> mm. I watched the video where they introduced it, where they, you know, put it on the table for him to look at, and he was like, "Wow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like it's... a little mini Draco." <laughs> yeah, it looks good. It got all kinds of all the different stall packages and and greebles and strikes and antennas and you know, the corrugated side. That, yeah, it looks like they just shrunk the real one down. But yeah, for for an eight pound plane, nine gram servos. <laughs> They're all they're, nine gram metal. Yeah, metal you're, not, you're not flying very fast. It's not like it's a high speed plane. He's got they're digitals too, right? Yeah, they are. Yes. So you got to recalibrate yourself for that. <laughs> Sorry. You would be surprised with how how weak a servo you can get away with on control surfaces as long as you're not flying at 200 miles an hour. <laughs> I just I don't think I would put a nine gram metal servo on my Orca. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lee, what comes in your two meter carbon cup? I don't know. I think they're nine grams, and I always like waiting for everyone to go rip. <laughs> anyway, I digress. They're all not every service is nine gram servos. It's a nine gram servo. It's amazing. Okay, yeah, and it's probably hmm. a six volt servo system. So yeah, it's fine. What could <laughs> go wrong? What could go wrong? Did you see his plane on, in September of twenty nineteen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed in the video I watched today. He said, "Don't ground loop it." Yeah, I was gonna say, always yeah. take off into the wind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was. Uh, there's a video of that accident where he tried apparently tried to take off in like a 40 knot crosswind, and it didn't end well. Yeah, yeah I but think everybody that, knows about that. He could have just picked the tail up and moved it, pointed it the other direction, <laughs> gone up in 10 feet. So anyway, yes, he admitted so, that it was his it was his mistake, and he should have done that. Yeah. So apparently, crashing this model is a skill maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> I was crosswind. It looked great. <laughs> <laughs> looks just like the photo right so i think we all agree that it's kind of uh, unprecedented in terms of detail and the gadgets they incorporated into it mm. but at the same time there seems to be some controversy over the price tag which you've already alluded to lee yeah. it didn't really shock me given the size and the features and all that on it it, it kind of fell where i thought it would but yeah i think you got two things one it's it's a it's a really big model so the moles for that can't be cheap and second, a lot of it's licensed. I think I, I saw two things that sort of obviously the plane is licensed from uh, Mike, but they said something about the the shock absorbers were also licensed, so they may be a, right. a separate license, which I thought was well, funny. The real Draco is kind of like a, a NASCAR with all the logos on it. Mm. And so if you're modeling that, you got to put all the logos on it. And oh, yeah. You so have to license all those too. I assume, but I don't know. That, that reminds me of years and years ago. You remember that movie? Um, uh, I think it had Tom Cruise was, was a uh, NASCAR driver. Days of Thunder? Days, Days of, of Thunder. Thunder, yeah. When they came out with a plastic model for that, apparently there was some controversy. They, the company didn't want to pay all the licensing fees, so it was missing a lot of the decals. For oh. The, 
stuff so they have, in the movie. His, it's primer gray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's yeah. Funny. The licensing stuff can, not, can be not insignificant amount of money. Yeah. So... It's probably it could be part of the reason why it's a little higher than a lot of people expected. Could be, yeah. But also, I think because Mike Patey is such a popular YouTube figure, and the, this airplane is so popular, I guess they're expecting a big response to it, and they can charge a little more. Yeah. The supply and demand. Yeah. And from what I've seen so far, a lot of people have pre-ordered it, so the. It couldn't have been too far off the mark, price-wise. I'm sure it'll be popular. Yeah, yeah. Nice, big, unintimidating plane. Now, now uh, I didn't get a chance to really... Uh, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm going to hand in some of my, my airplane geek card. Was Draco used in competition, or was just famous because he went to a lot of air shows with it? He has a very popular YouTube channel, and so I think that's where most of his popularity comes from. That He had videos showing how he built Draco and kind of took everybody through the process. So he has a huge following on YouTube. So it's kind of famous for being famous. Yeah, it's the Kardashian of airplanes. <laughs> well, didn't He participated in a lot of stall events, though. You see him, like, you know, in some contest for a short takeoff, and then they, they do, like, maneuvers and stuff. There's, there, it, there's a video in one of his that shows him competing. Maybe that wasn't a big deal, but you're right. It definitely was a... It drew your eye. It was so unique. Yeah. So, as a neat person with a neat airplane, and so the people were interested. Interesting. Well, it is certainly a very distinctive-looking model. So. Yeah, it's one of those. Like, I think it's ugly, but I'm not sure. It's it's, it's so a good-looking cool. model of an ugly airplane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Face a mother could love. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, that's good to see it's out because after hearing about it some time ago, is it uh, out? Well, I guess, let's see, is it, uh, I think it's not out-out, but... You know, Here it says April 2021. I don't know if there were any in the States for the initial release, or if it was all pre-order, but... Now, yeah, you might have like, mentioned this, Fitz, but as I look at the picture now, this is a foamy, and it's got clear windows and a clear canopy and a decent amount of cockpit detail. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of structure left there, so there must have been... Some uh, significant structural engineering to make all that happen. Yeah, that's a good point. It'd be really interesting to take a look inside to see how they beefed it up. There's uh, reinforcements of some type in there or whatnot. And I was surprised the landing gear is carbon fiber. Yeah, I saw that. There's some carbon fiber there. There's no struts, so maybe they or they beefed up other parts with carbon fiber as well in the cockpit area. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, apparently one was flying at somewhere, maybe it was at the Top Gun or something. Oh, yeah, Horizon was there with their yeah. road crew. Yeah, they were so flying one. Maybe that was a pre-production model or something. Uh, all right, any last thoughts before we move on? It's red. It's red. I like red. Uh, <laughs> Scott? I was going to say very red, but that's what makes it so memorable. Right. Um, yeah, the, the videos are really cool. I, I, I I got to go to uh, Oshkosh a couple of years ago, and ah. and I think that it was there at the time, but not the day that we were there, or something like that. But but everybody knew about it, so it's it's one of those iconic aircraft. Yeah, it's funny they mentioned that it took less time to transform the full scale one than it did to design the model. Wow, <laughs> <That's> impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. 
And one thing I'm interested about, and then I'll shut up about this, I think the full-scale Wogas in general were, are, are used a lot for arrow towing, at least over in Europe. I wonder sense. if this has arrow tow capability. Well, you know, it, it might. I've got one of those, um, uh, the big uh, Carbon Cub SS, and the reason I bought it was it was orange, so it matched the Skybench colors, and I put Skybench on the wing. But the main reason I bought it is it has arrow towing capability. And um, so it's perfect for RC sailplanes. Have I you used be, it for that? Well, honestly, no, not yet. I did take it to the <laughs> I did take it to the Nats last year, but it takes you have to install a, a real small micro servo in it for the release. Right. And I bought the servo. I got all the parts, but it was just one of those things. It was one o'clock in the morning and going to the event the next day, and I was like, well, maybe next year. So, yeah. so I haven't used yeah. it yet. All right. I've, fl- I've flown the airplane a lot. I just haven't used it to tow anything. Yeah, and maybe that's something we can segue into later because I just got the first version of that in a trade, and I maidened, or I guess remaidened it last weekend. So it's, the the, uh, blue, the blue and white one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think Lee has the same version you do, right, Lee? Or do you have the blue one as well? Blue one. Okay, so you've got the version one, but with a different motor and different tires and other stuff. Yeah, yeah. The landing gear was changed. The, the fuselage is still the same, but the wings are very different between the two. Oh, the wings are different? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, uh, uh, square tips, a little bit wider, um, and the aileron surfaces are larger. I guess oh. the, the cost to remake the fuselage for minor changes just wasn't worth it. So they kind of they came out with an all-new version, but they were able to use some of the parts from the blue and white one. Uh, interesting, yeah. but in the one flight I got in last weekend, it, I fell in love with it. So yeah, yeah, they're fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did we have any other new products, Fitz? Oh wait, did we talk about the price on Draco? Oh, I guess we sort of did. We said well, three hundred a meter, so it's six hundred bucks, right, for yeah. the bind and fly version. Yeah. Well, that's not too much out of because they're they're P fifty one, the big one point. Was it one point five meter? You tell yeah. me. You've got it. Oh, I think it's one point five meter. You know, the, <laughs> and the Falker Wolf are not that much less than that, and there was a smaller really? aircraft. Hmm. Well, if you think it's too much, don't buy it. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have the money, you can't buy it. <laughs> hey, this is America, buddy. Stop that crazy talk. That's right. It's, fu- it's funny how free I got a credit works. card. <laughs> well, it's funny because it does say that you you can you can pay for this in seven thousand easy payments. Oh, yeah. right? mm-hmm. You can keep paying for it long after you've crashed it. Mm. I've I've always said if they could just get the credit card to show up or the charge on the credit card to show up as Coles Women's Separates, we could all buy anything <laughs> we wanted to. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I want my bill to show me buying a bunch of women's underwear. Well, that's true. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Um, one other thing, uh, I I remember before I mentioned about the G2 series of batteries that I was looking into. The smart The smart batteries? tech G2 yeah. Generation 2. Yeah. Uh, I did, I've got one of the new G2 chargers and some batteries to play around with. And I've been working on that. It'll be an upcoming review, uh, my YouTube channel review. Uh, so this is their new S1400 charger. That's labeled as g2 and that's kind of interesting 400 watt charger that they have uh, that's fancy. pretty meaty yeah it is mm-hmm. and wow. man and i stress tested and uh and is it 400 watts with 
AC or only DC? AC. Really? Do the yeah. lights go dim when you plug up there? <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. No, but it has a fan in there, and that's when that fan kicks on, you know it. Huh. Okay. So, yeah, so I guess forced air cooling keeps things from melting. So uh, is it an AC-DC charger? Uh, no, it's just a DC. Uh, just AC. Okay. And there's no DC inputs to it, which I thought was interesting. But uh, uh, so, In fact, I, mean, I was working on a video earlier today on it i mean, pretty much finished testing it but uh i thought that was kind of neat to take a look at to see it's weird having the batteries with no balance plugs yeah but if i have an old battery that does have balance taps can that charger handle it yes it's still backward okay. compatible yes okay good yeah which is nice uh so it's uh it looks good it looks like a good way to, to kind of segue into balanced lead less batteries if you want to do so but you can still keep your old stuff how many outputs? One output, single output. Okay. Although it's interesting, it has a single output, but there's two connectors. There's the EC, IC, excuse me, three and IC five, and it has this little door that slides up and down to expose one or the other connector. <laughs> so the connectors are built into the housing. Yes. All right. So if you want anything other than the EC, IC, you got to make an adapter. Uh, yeah, you'll have to get a yeah. one. Yeah, that's okay. How big is this thing? It's not that big. It's maybe four inches by four inches, roughly. Oh, that's tiny. By three inches. It's not super tiny. How big is four inches? For 400 watts, that's tiny. It's Yeah, it's actually surprisingly small. It's it's stout. You pick it up and it's like, oh, wow, this is pretty dense. Uh, but it's not that big. It's hardly any bigger than the S2100 that I have, and it's... It's just a little taller than that one. But, yeah, roughly 4x4x4 four by four by four almost, maybe. Okay. It's kind of a cube thing with uh, rubber buttons and uh, uh, USB ports on one side, both input and output. All right. Is that for data or just charging USB things? Uh, both. The input's for data. You can do firmware updates on it. Yep. And the other one is for charging stuff, cell phones or whatever. All right. So when will we see your detailed review on this? Hopefully soon. I'm going to aim for this week sometime. Oh, that is soon. This coming week, yeah. <clears throat> All right, cool. Uh, okay, one last new thing. I guess we were, it was on our list for later, but I think it would be good to mention it now. Uh, Mr. Lee has a new job. <laughs> I it's, do? You do. You have a new job. And it's hey, it's industry news. It's industry related. So It's a doozy. Tell us about it. What you got? And what kind of it's floors a, are you sweeping? It's a, I, have, I have not planned how to announce it. I was kind of waiting for, to save that for the, the end of the show. Uh, I have applied and I have accepted the position of social media manager for the Academy of Model Aeronautics. Mm, great. <sighs> Yay, Lee. Oh, yeah. I, I will say Terry Dunn is partly to blame. So <laughs> if you see terrible posts, you can send your hate mail to him and say, what did you do? No. Uh, <laughs> but I will thank Terry because he has uh, he's put a helping hand into this, and I thank him very much. Uh, I hope it's something I can do. I definitely like to... Uh, <laughs> uh, put our social media to use for RC Roundtable and my radiation and stuff like that. And I'm sure hoping I can do a good job for the AMA. It's an organization I've been a member since I was a kid. And in fact, I'm currently in the, uh, an issue right now 
for their foundation and with my son and that's something that they'd like to do is uh, get some photos of my dad maybe and kind of uh, mention that in in passing is you know keeping the tradition going so anyway i'm i'm very excited i finished my first week last week some of the stuff you may have seen on the interwebs was my doing <laughs> i hope you liked it <laughs> and i'm sure i will have a lot more work provided to me this week so i will I will keep you guys posted. You are welcome to send me messages through the AMA and let me know if you have any questions. And hopefully pretty soon I will be, I will know this stuff like the back of my hand. (laughs) Well, I want to say congratulations publicly. I am happy that you are in that position. And I'm going to echo something that I often say to people when they talk about the magazine, whether it's the AMA magazine or any other RC magazine, um, that they should reach out to you and let their voice be heard. I think a lot of people assume that you've already got all this content. You just can't wait to get out there. But uh, like most magazine editors, they're always hungry for more stuff and different ideas. So if they have ideas about stuff that would be good for the AMA's uh, Facebook and social media pages, they should contact you. What's your email address there? <laughs> Lear at... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this is the funny for everybody. Uh, when setting up my email, uh, the IT guy, who I guess just didn't know what the word meant, but he actually set up my email, Lee R, which is the word Lear. And when you read it, it's it was Lear at bottleaircraft.org. And I was like, this is a terrible, <laughs> terrible PR stunt. <laughs> sounds, like, it sounds like a verb. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. it is, kind of. What's that? What's that? Uh, who song? <laughs> Is it who? Sitting on a park bench. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I kindly asked them to change it. So going to what Terry said, it's Lee Ray at modelaircraft.org. And I'm proud to say that. I'm. Uh, it's funny because my boss uh, has actually started uh, working on a, uh, <laughs> a business card. And I threw a photo that's one of my favorites. And I think, Terry, I'll, I'll thank you. It's a photo of me and my P-38. Uh, I think you know it. It's, it's up, some, somewhere on our pages. But right. I am the only full-time employee of the AMA who's not officed in Muncie, Indiana. Oh, and okay. uh, it Trailblazer. took a little bit of you know legal hula hoop or just hoop jumping, whatever they call it, uh, to get all the you know T's crossed and I's dotted. But I am a full-time employee, so when it, when it had the address, I, I teasingly told my boss, just say, somewhere in Texas. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see if he, he flies with that. But anyway. the AMA's southern branch. <laughs> there we go. Southwest Division. Yeehaw. Oh. Well, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say congratulations, too. I'm, I'm about 45 minutes, maybe an hour away from the AMA and have gotten to know some of the people up there and the foundation. I knew Mandy real well and now Kelsey's. Mm-hmm the director of the foundation, uh, great people. And I too have been a member uh, since, gosh, late 1970s. So F- I'm a, five digit I'm, number? Uh, one, three, seven, eight, two, four. So six digits. But a low six digits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I have I have a high five digit. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, Scott. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, now, now you can get the custom ones, so you could get Lear. At, I'm going to oh, right. <laughs> Oh man, Scott's quick witted. All right, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but thank you for mentioning that, Fitz. So yes, and there uh, you go. to avoid any uh, future emails from concerned listeners, I think you were uh, thinking of Jethro Tull with that song. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I could remember. <laughs> so, okay, what next, Fitz? All right, shall we uh, take a quick break and 
Be right back with Scott. Okie dokie. All through the night you telephone I saw the light blinking red Beside the cradle But you don't know how far I've gone Now I must live with the life that I made All right, we're back. And we are here, as I mentioned before, with Mr. Scott Black from Skybench Aerotech. Nailed it. All right. Uh, Scott, it's, uh, of course, an honor for you to be here with us. And it's uh, it's your yeah, honor to be with us. <laughs> yeah, your honor. <laughs> <laughs> How lucky you are. <laughs> we should have charged you more. <laughs> well, if, if, if I wasn't with you guys, I would just be covered with balsa wood dust at this point on a Sunday evening, so... It's, it's Ooh, nice that's a toss up. We're able that to much talk. higher than balsa dust. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, when this is over, you might uh, might have gone for the balsa dust instead. So, so you gave us a little bit of a touch on how you uh, came to how Skybench came to its name and how you kind of came into the to the family of the Skybench company. Can you give us sort of the elevator pitch of who you are and what your company is? Sure, what I'd be you happy stand to. for. What yeah. you stand for? <laughs> yeah. Well, like I told you guys earlier, I've been in RC since the late 70s. And when I started flying, I was flying sailplanes in a club. I went to uh, college at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And there was a group of Oak Ridge scientists that had a soaring club. And that's where I learned to fly. So, uh, you know, the, I, I honestly think sailplanes is probably the best way to learn. You only have one chance to land, but the rest of the time... Everything is pretty pretty laid back. You just yes. a friend for life. With yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen then, to this guy. <laughs> and then the uh, I, I enjoy powered airplanes too, and I joined the local power club, which the sailplane guys called. I think they called me a defector, and they said I was going over to the greasy kid stuff. <laughs> but but I've enjoyed doing all of it over the years. Um, I from a background standpoint, I was an architectural draftsman for a lot of years and also did fabrication drawings back when when it was real men and we used pencils and paper. And um, I also built architectural scale models professionally for three years. So in other words, my background is well suited to do what Skybench does. And I don't have Ray Hayes background when it comes to aeronautics and airfoil knowledge and that sort of thing. I'm sure I'll uh, get more as, as the years go on. But I know that I can make really good quality kits, and I understand how to do that, uh, how to do the laser cutting, uh, balsa selection. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of our own designs already. So it's it's for me, it's just kind of the perfect uh, way to bring all those backgrounds together. And like I said, I do a lot of marketing at work, and so I enjoy that side of it. I, the website I did myself and all the social media and all the graphics that you see and box labels, and that's a lot of fun for me too. So I'm, I'm having a great time. I guess having an architecture background should be no problem drawing up plans for the kids. Yeah, it's, um, it's helped me a lot throughout, throughout the years. When I was drafting full-time, I was doing some metal drawings, which are um, things that look really nice and impress customers. But then once we would get a project, then I would turn around and do fabrication and site design drawings and things like that, which was the nuts and bolts side. 
So, you know, obviously both are important and it's, it's really, it transfers well to model kits. So when did you make the transition from pencils and vellum paper to CAD? CAD came online for us, I, I guess in about early nineties and the company I was with, we made the mistake. We bought CAD Max instead of AutoCAD, hmm. but CAD, um, <laughs> CAD like CAD, Betamax, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I, I learned a little bit. But what I liked about drafting was that it was kind of it was artsy fartsy. You know, at the end of the day, you could look back and go, "Wow, I did that. That looks really nice." And my lettering got really good and everything. And when CAD came on, I was I was just really disappointed at first because it was so sterile. Um, but obviously it's become what it's become and you never have to draw the same thing twice and it, the accuracy is phenomenal. And so now I've re-embraced CAD, but you know, at the time I just, I didn't have any interest in it. And that's when I kind of moved into the sales and marketing side of the company that I was with instead. So it, it just all kind of combines and, um, everybody's background brings them to where they are today. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I actually had, I've taken classes on drafting back in high school and a little bit college. Mm-hmm. So I know in the old style, you know, with the, the, the compasses and the paper and, and mechanical pencils and stuff. And sure, I'm a terrible yeah. writer, so the uh, the, the block uh, letters was, was, <laughs> was the only way I could write legibly. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's funny. I You have to make a decision at some point if you're a draftsman. You, you stop writing cursive and you stop using lowercase because you... The only way to improve your lettering is to do it uppercase nonstop. Yeah. So I've I've been uppercase probably since I was twenty years old, maybe. You know, I still sign my name in with a signature, but that's it. Fifth grade, <laughs> this <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> yeah. I I print um, but, everything. But you'd asked about Skybench. Um I trying to think probably Ray and I met probably five years ago. He used to have events out at the AMA called Woodcrafters which is designed purely for the classic wooden sailplanes, which is all that Skybench does. Um, it's not that we don't like the new carbon fiber stuff and all that, but there's, there's just something really special about spending an evening or lots of evenings working on a balsa wood airplane that you then cover and fly yourself. I just, I think that, you know, and I, I told you earlier, I've got some foamies that, you know, on, on a day where you don't have much time, you put it in the car and you go out and fly. But for me, all these years, I would say probably 70% of my enjoyment of the hobby has been building. You know, it's something I enjoy. And I remember my wife said she could always tell when I had a stressful day at work because I wanted to go in, go down in the workshop and, and build something. You know, it's just a great way to relax. So that's what Skybench is all about. I, I think uh, there's a lot of people flying and, and ARFs and foamies have been great for the hobby because they get a lot of people into it. But if they haven't had the chance to sit down and, and build an airplane, it's a lot of fun. And I, I think that the level of pride is, gosh, three or fourfold, you know, when, you're, when you see something that you actually built flying up in the air. So Skybench will always stay has wooden kits, and that's how Ray looked at it. And that's what interested me so much in his company was that I want to see that continue. And um, I get a lot of emails that start out with, Thank you for keeping the side of the hobby going, you know, and then they ask about this kid or that cat. So it's, it's been a good experience. So when you took the company over, had things already been converted to CAD and laser cutting? Yes, at that point. Well, I, I say that. A lot of the actual drawings that come with the kits 
Um, some of those are still hand-drawn drawings, but the drawings have also been converted to laser files, enough so that the parts can be cut with a laser. Now, the, the new kits that we're coming out with, uh, we're starting out with those drawings on CAD, even, even the kit drawing, you know, the one that you build off of. I've got a couple that I've done on my own over the years that I'd like to eventually kit, and that will be a hand-done drawing. But again, the the parts will be done with AutoCAD. Uh, it's just uh, you, lasers have a kerf. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. They think that the the beam is micro thin. It's actually got a kerf to it. So when you're cutting parts, you can adjust CAD. There's programs that do that. Some of the laser cutters do that. Nesting programs, things like that. Um, so AutoCAD's the way to go to make sure that everything's perfect. Okay. So if you compare a kit you make today, um, let's say the Olympic, yeah. do you think it's because of the the laser cutting that it's a superior kit in any way to what they would have originally purchased, which I assume was die cut? Yeah, it's, it is die cut, and when I've, I've actually got the original die cutting equipment for the Airtronics Olympic that came with the purchase of the company, um, and I don't really know what to do with it because the machine that the die cutting plates attached to I don't have, but it's really neat to see it, and I don't know maybe the AMA Museum might like those plates, but when you look at them, they've they've had a lot of use over the years, and and they would stay sharp for a long time, but there would come a point where the operator would look at it and say, you know, we really need to. Uh, tweak these and sharpen them again before we make any more kits. So the quality could vary just slightly, whereas with laser cutting, everything is perfect every single time, as long as the laser is set up just right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the hardest thing these days, especially in 2020 and 2021, is getting good balsa wood. You know, most of the distributors don't even classify their balsa anymore. They, you know, used to be able to buy soft and medium and, and contest grade and hard and and now it, it's it's kind of you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, as my <laughs> as, as my grandparents used to say. Um, but as a result, you know, the, you, you can have balsa wood that would be great for a RC trainer powered aircraft, but you wouldn't want to use it for a sailplane because it's too it's too heavy and uh-huh. and and weight is the enemy. So some of the shipments that we got before we were having a really tough time getting balsa. I had to send some back or just set it aside because it was it was just too tough for sailplane kits. But wow. that, that supposedly is starting to get better. I know that um, everyone's talking about the balsa shortage. It's not – if you mention it on Facebook or any of the social medias, the immediate response you get is, well, I bought a, a load of balsa from so-and-so last week, and I haven't had any problem. There are some distributors who do still have balsa, but those guys – Everyone gets balsa from their own source. Um, and so if that particular company can't get balsa wood right now, and I don't want to name names, then they just can't get it. Whereas another company might still be able to. But the tough part for me is Skybench is that I'm set up on dealer pricing, and a lot of the distributors now are not doing dealer pricing because there's just, you know, it's, it's not that they're tr- trying to take advantage. It's just that they could sell at retail to somebody else, so why sell at wholesale to me? So right. it could it could be that, uh, and we've talked about it a lot. We may uh, uh, we've got the Skybird kit coming out, for instance, and the higher price for Balsa is probably going to raise the price of that kit twenty dollars, maybe twenty five. Wow. And I, I hate to call it a surcharge, but I I need to make a profit on it. But my goal is that once Balsa Wood 
comes back down in price that I can simply lower the price of the kit and I'll still make the same profit, but, but all of us won't have to pay so much for balsa wood. No. Now, you just said you're expecting the price to come back down uh, of balsa. Mm-hmm. Is that because there's some temporary surge in demand or some well, other factor? that's what the distributors tell me. They tell me that it's it's temporary, that the balsa that was out there got refocused for different purposes, and everyone's talking about wind turbine blades. There are wind turbine companies that use balsa in their blades, but there's also a lot of them that don't. I've got a friend that's uh, engineer for Siemens, and he says that their wind turbines don't have any balsa in the blades. So it's it's you know it could be all sorts of reasons, but um, they say that the the they believe that the market's going to come back. You know, and it, and it could simply be that that people didn't build as much as they did the last ten or fifteen years. You know, so maybe maybe the wood distributors weren't buying as much balsa, and they got a little bit deprioritized. Hard to say. Okay. Now the lack of categorization now is that is that tied into the the low supplies or is that a totally different aspect of what's going on? It's it's I believe it's tied into the low supplies. It's okay. you know when when they receive a balsa log um, you know, at the distributor and, and they can start to process it in sheets and sticks and all that they they too probably have a decision of well do I do do we send this one back probably not. You know, if, if you've ever been to some of the local uh, uh, chain craft stores, sometimes you go to those displays and you and the wood that's in there, you're like, this isn't balsa, this is right. mahogany, you know. <laughs> right. But, but, so, and, and, but, you know, if you're building a scale model for architectural class of a building, you don't, it doesn't matter how much it weighs. You just want some wood that's pre-cut to sizes. Right. Um, I, internally, the, the two distributors I'm working with now who do have wood, Tell me that they understand they can't can't ship the heavy stuff, but the fact is they can sell every single thing they get, so they're they're just not taking the time to grade things like they used to. Yeah, I guess there's no incentive for them at that point. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, let's hope there's not a lot of balsa on that uh, ever given ship stuck in the Suez. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my, you my know? balsa's right there, and that one. Can I just can you just take that one off for me? <laughs> it, it, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, when I saw that the other morning, I thought that was the first thing that went through my mind was, oh boy, I wonder if that's got all the balsa on it yeah. and all the Dracos. Yeah, well, could be. <laughs> well, it still could interrupt trade. You're saying something like ten percent of the world trade would interrupt it because of that. The, the number that I saw in a news story was $400 million an hour. Oh, my oh. gosh. For that thing to be, not you know, not that ship, but for all the other ships that it's blocking. Right. Yeah, it had a cascading yeah. effect. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh. Pretty significant. Yeah. I'm going to go way back to your conversation and just sneak in a, a little buzzword for you, but you mentioned you had the plans for the original Olympic. Uh-huh. I have sure one. sure do, yeah. Say that I again. Have, I'm sorry. I I have my father's Olympic. Well, it's it's a, not only do I have the original vellums uh, from Airtronics, but I've got Lee Renault's actual hand drawn drawings of the Olympic too, yeah. which are in a, a fire safe tube, and obviously the value of them is really neat. I wow. I would love to just have them framed. I'd love to see them at the museum or something. But it could be that in the future, maybe we just run copies of his actual hand drawings because they're quite nice. Well, you know, well, and, and all the companies uh, immediately took the hand drawings and turned them into inked drawings on on mylar, so they could make reproductions. But the original hand drawings are are really cool. Have you flown an original Olympic? Yes, in fact, the yeah. one that I've got is an original Olympic. 
Um, when I built it, I, I, there was lighter servos, there were better batteries, but I tried to build it exactly the way Lee Renaud would have built his back in 1972, I think, or 74. I can't remember the exact date. Um, and I have same colors and all that. It's t it had been stuck in my head for years, so I knew when I built it, I, I wanted to make mine do well. And it, it flew just great. I took it to the Nats last summer where there's a nostalgia class, and I maxed out on on a couple of flights. It was it, It's just a great sailplane. Wow. Well, I was... Uh mentioned in a previous podcast i've been meaning to dust mine off and put it back together i'm not going to go nostalgic and put in an old fat servos but i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna put these nine gram metal digital yeah, yeah oh, no, you're, you're absolutely right and and the the new skybench version uh is exactly the same as lever nodes but what ray did years ago was he made the wing spar a lot stronger um the wing rod a lot stronger so that they can be zoom launched and winch launched um, you know, the original Olympic was designed to be done with a high start only. And so the, the, there's a lot more beef inside the new kit. There's also some 164th inch doublers in the areas that always used to break on the original kits. So the, this, the uh, Olympic II is still um, the same kit, but it's got some nice improvements inside. So for somebody like me who's not very familiar with sailplanes and all the different categories and competitions... How would you categorize the Olympic? The Olympic is probably, um, a lot of people would call it an entry-level sailplane. It's it's a step above that, in my opinion, just because you do spend some time on style. It's a really good-looking airplane, and you know it's not your standard uh, box fuselage and throw some rubber bands on it. Um, but it's not much less than that either. Uh, it's fairly simple to build and still a great looking design and kind of uh, something that people recognize uh, who've been in, in the hobby, even if they haven't flown sailplanes, they still know what Olympic two looks like. Hmm. Now, is that the one you said is perhaps the most built sailplane out there? I think so. There's, there's thousands of them that have wow. been built. So <clears> if <throat> you would ask me that question without any preamble, I would have said, mm -hmm. Oh, that's the gentle lady. Well, you know, that the General Lady was my very first sailplane, and I think that Goldberg did a remarkable job getting those in the hands of people. When they first came out, they were, I don't know, $20, $21 or something. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and that was, I built mine about 1980, and, you know, they say a dollar in 1980 is worth $3.03 nowadays or something, but that's still a bargain for a kid. Oh, sure. And the General Lady is, is just super. And they go for big bucks on, on eBay. It's crazy to watch the prices of old vintage kits because um, people are kind of recapturing their, their childhood. Hmm. So, I, Yeah, I definitely child, think... childhood, but youth. So. It, yeah, I yeah. feel like there's a resurgence in balsa building, partly because of COVID and yeah. partly because of other factors. But, uh, yeah, the, it, the prices are going up for sure. It's this year has been so frustrating from that standpoint because honestly, if I had 500 kits, I would have sold every single one of them. People, right. people were sitting at home. They finally had time, you know. And but yet, because of COVID, it was hard to get parts and hardware and things done. And shipping was difficult, you know, for a while. Kind of a catch twenty two. Uh, huh? Yeah, really was, really was. Well, I heard you mention a few minutes ago the Skybird. Can yes. you tell us? something about that yep we've got we've got uh, two kits coming out we uh, ray had the copyrights to about 30 kits and we will eventually get them all back out 
on the market, but I'm prioritizing them based on their popularity. That's good for cash flow going forward. Um, so the Olympic II was the first one. And then the next kit that we're working on, which is all done now, um, in fact, I've got a big shipment of also arriving on Tuesday so I can finish those kits, is the Skybird. And the Skybird is a 132-inch wingspan. Um, it's a whopper. It's a beautiful plane. It oh. looks a lot like the Bird of Time. And if you're familiar with that, that's another classic. A lot of people say, oh, I wonder why they just copied the Bird of Time. Actually, the Ray and um, Dave Thornburg had a conversation, and I've got copies of their notes and stuff. Um, he was happy to have Ray make Bird of Time-looking sailplanes. He just didn't want Ray to make one exactly like his, which was 118-inch. So Ray subsequently made the Skybird, which is 132-inch, but he also made Little Birds and Micro Birds and all sorts of things that have that unique wing design. And um, the funny thing is, is I, I had a Skybird on order from Ray about the time that he passed away. So it's, it's my favorite. And it's on the website now at skybench.com. But those are, you know, laser files are all redone. The, the plans are redone, uh, instructions redone. So those will be, once, once it's back on market and back in production, then it's easy to keep making more kits. It's that initial uh, release that's difficult. And then the, uh, the other new one that's coming out, which I wouldn't have expected a year ago, is called the Mini Olympic II. And there are a whole group. In fact, there's a complete sail, uh, Facebook page for half-scale classic sailplanes hmm. where people are building half-scale Aguilas and Paragons and Gentiladies and Sagitas and, and now an Olympic II. And they, so uh, the standard Olympic II is 99-inch wingspan, whereas the Mini is 49 and a half inches and it's not as simple as you guys can understand of just shrinking the plans down half size because all the all the sizes of balsa have to change um, the strengths are different so the kit's been re-engineered from that standpoint but we've tried to make it look exactly like an olympic two it's just half as big would and that that's be, all done that's all done would that be a hand launch it could be hand launched uh, what a uh, Amazingly, about 60% of the kits that get sold, and I'm just I'm guessing at that number based on emails, guys are uh, converting to electric. Mm. You know, today's today's brushless motors and lipo batteries weigh so little that it's just as easy to make an electric version as it is to go out and buy a high start or um, something along those lines. I had an Airtronics Eclipse back in the 80s that you know once you got the NiCad batteries in it that it needed to spin an electric motor. It was so heavy, it, it not only didn't fly that well, but it would never thermal. Whereas nowadays, you can put an electric motor and a folding propeller on the front, and you've got a thermal sailplane that you can use the motor to get it up to altitude and then just cut back, and you are you're, you don't weigh any more than you would if you didn't have that stuff. Mm. So it's neat. Well, I'll tell you what's, what got my attention, and I know this is an upcoming one, but I'm a craftier guy, and you've got this Viking yeah. in the background yeah. and I've got I just finished a Golden Eagle and flew that last Christmas at an event and my my dad had a sail air uh, we okay. flew that a lot but it had been damaged and it had been stored in the garage for a while so I found a, a person who would take care of it uh, but that's great and then the next thing that I hope to build soon is my Aquila uh, yeah. my dad had one I loved it he let a friend borrow it that guy crashed it broke my heart because it was one of the best flying gliders I've ever flown and sure, I'm looking yeah. forward to finishing an Aquila but yeah it's, it's that, that Viking just brings back memories of the sailor 
Well, the Viking is is the one that's in the pictures is mine, and it's it's my favorite thermal sailplane. I've oh, I, I never got on the LSF. Uh, I'm, I'm a LSF member, but I never tried to get to level five or any of that sort of thing. But I've had several flights of almost two hours on that Viking, where I just it just does not want to come down. Wow, it's a it's a wonderful wonderful kit. So the, the Viking will probably I, I hope we can have it out by the middle of summer. Those files, the uh, laser files, are done, but I haven't done the bill of materials for the rest of it yet. So we're, we're getting close, but uh, sail airs, you probably heard they was those were always called sail pigs because they were so, <laughs> they were so big. It wasn't it wasn't meant to be derogatory, but they're just beautiful monster uh, sailplanes. So, you mentioned you mentioned LSF. Yes, educate me. LSF is the League of Silent Flight, and it is the um, organization that takes care of RC sailplane people and they have multiple levels of, of accomplishment you know from duration to spot landings to uh, climbing the ladder uh, that I'm not sure how everything's going to work with remote ID on the long distance trips that we used to be able to do where you would um, and forgive me for, I can't remember the mileage all the LSF members are shaking their heads if they're listening right now but there, there's a, a level where you get your sailplane up in a nice thermal and you get in the back of a vehicle and you travel. I think it's like 10 miles and 10 miles back. Yeah, I heard about those. Um, yeah. yeah, and I should know that by heart, but it's been too long since I looked at it all. Um, but that's the League of Silent Flight. I've got a link to them on the uh, skybench.com page back on the Contact Us area. Currently, the LSF guys are also the ones that help run the Nats uh, at the AMA, and that's a great event. That's um, kind of a, a side thing. I always thought that to go to the Nats, you needed to earn a position. And I think that is true in some of the disciplines, whether pylon racing and things like that. But I didn't go to the Nats, even though they were an hour away from me, thinking, well, I haven't earned the opportunity to fly there. And I went one year just to watch and started talking about the sailplanes I've got. This is probably six years ago, seven years ago. And one of the guys said, why didn't you bring your sailplanes? And I said, well, I, I can't fly. I, you know, I... I haven't been in a contest in 20 years, and and he just shook his head at me. I mean, it's just, they call it Camp AMA. They, everybody just comes for a week and has a great time and enjoys soaring. And and with a 1,000 acres at the AMA International Modeling Center, there's just nothing like it. I mean, it's it's a f uh, incredible place to fly sailplanes. Well, it's, it's great that you mentioned this. This is an interesting segue, but... Uh, part of my social media project is to make sure all the links that we have work and they're currently giving discounts to first time members of Nats. And so I actually signed up for the, uh, the nostalgia class. Oh, great. Okay. Well, <laughs> now, I will not, certainly be there. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know if I get to go. <laughs> just, I, I was signing myself up just to make sure that discount code worked. But I mean, really just to, in my head, I was thinking, you know what? I don't care if I qualify or i mean either not qualify or come in last place i think it'd be great to bring my dad's olympic and bring my golden eagle just out there to have fun yeah absolutely and and it's so well run they typically have eight to ten winches electric winches and the boy scouts do the retrieval for us um covid made it kind of uh, not well attended last year on a couple of dates but um still it's just it's just a great event and everybody socializes throughout the day and in the evenings and you know a new person is even more welcome, I think, is the best way to look at it. They love to have people out there flying. So, yeah. So even even if you just signed up just for practice, 
you should come out with your dad's Olympic. That would be great. Then, and that would qualify not only for the nostalgia class, but for RES, which is rudder elevator spoilers. So you could you could fly in that class also. Hmm. <laughs> See if the AMA will approve my expense report to a. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Private well, yeah. jet out to Oshkosh. I mean, excuse me, I, IAC. Excuse me. Get pretty young. Jeeves, fuel up the Gulf Stream. <laughs> mm-hmm. So right now you mentioned that you use winches for starting there. Now, Lee, have you ever used a winch? <laughs> and my my follow up question would be to Scott: What's the uh, learning curve like going from a high start to a winch well if you haven't done it before it's one of those things that you're better off to have somebody with you Um, a winch is basically an electric car starter motor with 12 volts of power that's tied into a spool and it runs downwind to a pulley turnaround and then comes back to you and back to your sailplane and it's got a a a foot switch that's kind of like a sewing machine type where it's it's uh, it's not a click on click off it's a hold on hold off and you pull your sailplane up instead of using a high start. The thing is, is if your wing is not designed for strength and you step on that switch too long, you hear a loud crack, <coughs> excuse me, getting hoarse, where the wing just comes apart. And sometimes it's spectacular when it happens, but it, it stresses the wing to the point where it fails. So when you're using it for a, uh, a nostalgia sailplane or or something that maybe doesn't have the strongest structure, you kind of have to tap on that switch to make sure that you don't pull your sailplane sailplane apart. So, um, can you use a regular high start bungee start? Sure. Yep. Yep. You can certainly do that. And normally there's a couple of those also. But the the nice part about the winches is, is that you can get a lot of sailplanes up really quick, and and uh, get a lot more accomplished throughout the day. And and the other thing too is if you haven't pulled a high start, you know if you do that. 10 times you're going to be tired you know they they it's a long rubber band basically that shoots you up but it's got eight to ten pounds of pull well, and you stretch it 400 for. feet well yeah that's true but our our boy scouts ride golf carts so they they're, they're not quite used to that i think but well to answer well, your question terry i have used a winch high start once i wasn't in charge of it someone else had launched and then after my dad and i were there he picked up i don't know if he if he bought parts from a guy or because like if some guy didn't finish it but i actually had a high start winch in our garage we never finished it unfortunately uh, you know didn't get to do it with my dad so i i did get rid of it because uh, i was still a bungee guy but i i have seen what you're talking about uh, you know you can find them on youtube <laughs> those yeah, spectacular uh, separations of you know wing and fuselage but right. there's another guy i saw just recently from nats last year i think there was a video done and you could just see him just tapping it all the way up there it's it's really neat and i think my i was getting very nostalgic watching the nostalgia uh, aircraft you know category yeah it's it's and it, what's funny is even even in some of the classes that are really high tech when you show up with a uh, an Olympic or a general lady or any of the well-known names, Paragon, um, all those guys just go, "Oh, look at that! I built one of those." You know, so it's it's <laughs> they all have a, a, a place in people's hearts because everyone started out that way. All the fields. <laughs> and speaking of bungee launchers, I'm scanning your website here, and I see that you offer uh, high starts as well. Yes, yes, we've got a product called the Sky Start which is just, uh, uh, it used to be that you could buy high starts from a number of different sources, uh, Dynaflight being one of them, and they made them in three different sizes, 
an unlimited class, which pulled really hard, 10 to 15 pounds, and then an open size, and then a smaller two-meter size for like a gentle lady. And just like our hobby keeps changing, um, high starts have become really hard to get a hold of. And, and I was amazed when I started doing Skybench, I got so many emails from people saying, I'd love to buy a high start, I can't find them. And oh, really? I think there's some places in Europe where you can get them. A high start is, is uh, basically you know, two, 300 feet of line, a parachute so that it can catch the wind when you are off and lay the, lay the line down the wind. And then maybe 100 to 50 feet of uh, surgical tubing. But you need to buy tubing in different sizes to have a different pull strength. And it's all fairly straightforward, but the nice part about it is once you get a decent high start, you'll have it for you know five years at least before the rubber starts to age. Um, and so that's a new product that we've started making. And we're going to make a, a standard class high start that will be suitable for the 100 inch on up and then one for the minis as well. Okay. So, no, so, go ahead, Fitz. Oh well, I just wanted to say I was also perusing through your website, and there was one model that really sh- struck my fancy, and that's the Wing Lord. It looks like a flying wing. Or, the Wind Lord, yeah. Um, that was designed by Ken Bates, and Ken is also the one that designed the Merlin, which is also on that page. You'll see the Merlin is a huge sailplane, but uh, Ken's an engineer by trade, and the Wind Lord is uh, kind of a flying wing type of a critter. Not the easiest thing in the world to make, but I, I, I don't want to say that from a negative standpoint. I mean, it's not like building an Olympic too. So there's some carving and sanding and a lot of wood filling and stuff, but it's just a, a gorgeous sailplane. And that one we'll be coming out with soon. At uh, the last Woodcrafters I went to, Ken was there with his Windlord, and it's just beautiful. Really, really cool looking sailplane. All right. Well, I have three technical questions, so I'll I'll try to remember them all. Um, Going back to high starts and winches and all that, I've heard stories where people pull their model through the turnaround pulley on a winch. How many things have to go wrong for that to happen? Well, there was a time period where a lot of people used tow hooks that were capture tow hooks. In other words, they were servo actuated. And that way you didn't have to worry about your sailplane accidentally popping off. You would control a release mechanism. And I've, I've, I've got those kinds of tow hooks on my Segita and on my Viking. And every time I get ready to fly, I make sure that that servo really will disengage it. Because if it doesn't and you can't get it off the line, you could drag it all the way down to the turnaround, I suppose. Um, if you had your wits about you, I think you would take your foot off the pedal but the, the winches themselves could have a malfunction, in which case it could do that. I've never seen what you're talking about. I've, I've heard that happening, but I've never, I've seen wings break and, and wings come off a fuselages lots of times, but I've, I've never actually seen a sailplane travel whole distance and, and try to go through a half inch diameter hole on a pulley system. <laughs> I bet it makes a mess when it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says well, it so calmly. I haven't seen that, but you know, it could happen. <laughs> well, well, it's it's you know when it's not your airplane it's it's really exciting to watch but when it's yours it's it's painful right it's one of those things you don't want it to happen but if it's going to happen I want to see it sure so yeah, it's like one of those cartoon where a character gets pulled through a hole that's much too small for the body to fit <laughs> right yeah okay question number two um, going back to the Skybird uh, okay. so the wing 
profile on that and the bird of time very unique where there's kind of a bulge at the outer panels uh-huh. is there a aerodynamic advantage to that or is that just stylistic I, well th- that's one of those questions that i'm not an aeronautical engineer so i can't answer i'm told that there is frank zach or zaic z-a-i-c was the one who mm-hmm. came out with that wing plan form uh with free flight gliders and then when Dave did the Bird of Time, he put it on that because it's it's just a, it gives it a vintage look right away. But there, what's interesting is at that area, not only does it ex, uh, extend the area from the leading edge to the trailing edge, but it's also a thicker airfoil at that point than it is at the center section of the wing. So so there is some aer- aerodynamics going on. I think that it probably does help pack a few few more square inches of area into the wing, and it gives it a really neat looking look. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Okay, my last question, at least for now. Going back to the Mini Olympic II, yeah. um, you noted, and we agree, that there's uh, a lot of popularity in the smaller balsa kits now. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've heard, at least in the other kits, the the prime driver for that is to get under the 250-gram threshold for registration. Um, does that apply to your plane as well? It does. It does. Um I don't know if that was the primary driver for all guys. I think a lot of them just like the compact size and something you can leave in the car. They do have a, uh, and Lee might know this, there's an event coming up called the Balsa 250 at the end of May at the AMA, and it is an event purely designed for that class of sailplane. And and like you said, it does uh, fall under the 250-gram uh, limits so that's a good thing but it's also just a really neat size and very portable and, and relatively inexpensive also and it takes advantage of the incredible uh, micro equipment that we've got these days right you know when when the olympic 2 came out and lever node was making his you know standard size servo was a standard size servo mm-hmm. and now we've got things that are a fraction of that size that are much stronger not to mention the reliable uh, radio systems so it's it's all the it's it's kind of taking the best of all the new technology and putting it into a smaller aircraft just because. Well, so that Mini Olympic is pushing fifty inch wingspan, right? Correct. Right. And it's under two hundred fifty grams ready to fly. Yes. Yeah. Is that pure glider or do the electrics hit that too? Electrics hit that too. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's a the, that that started with a guy named Mike McCrab and Mike either runs the half-scale Facebook page or or he's a dedicated guy. I think he runs it. But anyway, Mike built an Olympic II that was half-size. And when I saw it, I was just like, oh, that is so cool. And he's he's a retired aeronautical engineer or aeronautical company, worked uh, for Boeing, I think. And so Mike's just one of those guys that, that loves the challenge. And if you look at the Olympic II, you say, or the mini Olympic II, you say, that's a mini Olympic II. But there are so many design changes and little nuances that were required to fit balsa stock and to be strong enough to hold an electric motor and be strong enough that you could actually put it on a high start i wouldn't obviously you wouldn't put that one on a winch but um so mike worked uh, directly with me and we had a great time putting that together and then a guy named tony mcgowan offered to do the cad work for us and he's done a phenomenal job on that and so the whole thing came together and it, uh, you, it's amazing how many emails are coming in. So every one of those that we can get built, we will have sold. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, there's yep. a, the res, the resurgence in building is is uh, 
is a great thing. I mean, it's great for the hobby. It's great for Skybench, but I mean, it's really great for the hobby. It's great for AMA because there's it's there's there's more to the hobby than just going out and buying a pre-made airplane. You know, I sure. think the the engineering challenges are something a lot of people don't get to enjoy. And a little shout out to our buddy Sparky. He's loving this. <laughs> our buddy Sparky, bless his heart, and I and we we agree with him 100 percent because we got to get building back into the hands of the the youth too get them to learn yes. how to build this stuff and yes the the big draco is awesome if you have 600 bucks you can pull it out of the box and get it built and so forth but I, but for me and i'm i'm with you 100 percent, scott i've got these boxes of balsa in on my shelves and i'm i'm going to savor building that aquila I mean, yes. that's just going to yeah. be me hoping my dad's ghost is sitting there, of course, telling me I'm I'm gluing something wrong. <laughs> Don't do that. But, I mean, that that's probably going to be the one kit I will spend the most time uh, working on because I know how well that plane flies. And I've never owned an Oli 2. I mean, that's that's the name our friends call it, an Oli 2. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I've only had the Olympic, but uh, you got me wanting to build an Oli 2 now. Darn it. Well, <laughs> you're breaking me, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that, it, it's a good thing. I, mean, you know, not not to be schmaltzy, but I mean, it's just it's neat to you pat yourself on the back yourself when you build an airplane. You know, you could you could have the crummiest week at home or at work or whatever, and then Friday night comes around or and you spend the weekend building something, and by Sunday you've got maybe just a wing done or maybe just a fuselage, but it's like I made that. You know, I, I didn't buy that. I made that. And look how cool it is, you know. And I think that's, that's, as I said earlier, that's part of the hobby that I've always appreciated more than anything. And it's not that you can't have a great time just flying and, and there's some super cool stuff out there that you can buy. And I've bought some of it, too. Um, it's just building is a real, a real treat. So. For me, it'll be these cap strips are perfect. <laughs> yes. Yep. yep. <laughs> these are the best cap strips ever, ever laid down on a plane. <laughs> and if you're like me, when you're done at that point, then then your spouse will say, if you're married, is that really going to stay on the mantle? How long is that going to stay on the mantle? <laughs> Just for a week, honey. Then I'll put it someplace else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've talked about this before. Actually, I'm sure we have, but. Um, I do think that this resurgence in building that we're seeing also applies to the younger generation. The difference being that the younger generation is being driven by flight test. So mm-hmm. you know, love them or hate them, they're good and the bad. We have to give them credit for getting kids interested in building again. And I think they're getting that taste of what you're talking about of not just flying something, but I'm flying something that I built. You know, this morning this was a pile of foam board, and now it's an airplane. Oh, a- a- absolutely, yeah. Flight so. Test does some really cool stuff. They, I'm in Indianapolis, and at the Red Bull Air Races, Flight Test came out and had a booth set up there. Mm-hmm. And and not only were they selling kits to uh, families and kids and that kind of thing, but they were flying some of their stuff. You know, some of the small park flyer kind of things that they do, mm-hmm. and. And the one year I went to Oshkosh, which was 2018, they had actually built a full-scale, when I say full-scale, it carried a human uh, aircraft out of their standard building methods. You know, the blue insulation foam and cardboard and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I can send you a picture when we get done, but it was the coolest thing you've ever seen, you know, and it was all using their techniques, but human-sized. Yeah, <laughs> I, wait, I got I got one for you. <laughs> okay, so we had this discussion. I don't know if it was the last podcast or before, but what type of glue do you recommend 
on building these balsa gliders? Um, I am a mixture kind of a person. I know that, you know, we all started off with Ambroid, and you would glue something and wait a day before <laughs> you came back to it. But Kids I, have I, no I, idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoy using super glues. I use that uh, throughout the construction. Um, I do use epoxy on the structural components like firewalls and spars and things like that. Um, so I don't know if that, that uh, I also use some of the uh, tacky glues that you can get at Walmart and other places. Just the standard quick white glue is fine to glue in a, a rib, you know, and it actually keeps a little bit of flexibility. But from a from a building standpoint, I, I, I would say most of the time I'm, I'm using CAs. Yeah, a CA believer. Yep. <laughs> there was some controversy on glue topic. Well, right? always, you know, it, it's <laughs> kind of sh- it's it shades of gray. I mean, if from a from a structural standpoint, if you've got a good fitting joint and everything is making contact, in my opinion, virtually all the glues that we use are going to be more than sufficient to hold all that together. You know, now twenty years from now, which one's going to be brittle? You know, I would assume that epoxy could be brittle, but I would also assume that CA could be brittle. And, you know, is, is the $5 bottle of CA better than the $2 bottle of CA? I don't know the answer to that. I usually buy the $5 bottle just in case, a brand name. <laughs> right. All right. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's a topic we could go on with forever. But I think you probably summed it up nicely there. Glue and let glue. Yep, yep. We've got two prototypes of the Mini Olympic II are being built right now, and I think both of those guys are using CA. Um, and again, that's one of the beauties of laser uh, laser cut kits. I remember the first time I built a laser cut kit was a Sig Four Star Sixty, and I, it was it was exactly what they said. You could put the whole thing together with no glue because it fits so tightly, and then the glue just kind of entered all the joints by a capillary action, and it was uh, it was a rock at that point. So. Yeah. You know, that, that is the beauty of, of laser-cut kits. Oh, maybe you can settle a controversy that I see a lot. Is it necessary to sand the burned edges off before you use CA or any other glue? I, I think for most construction with balsa, it's not necessary. I have seen where uh, if uh, and it, a fuselage formers are a per- perfect example. If the edges of the fuselage former are badly burned, you know, when, when we laser cut, we try to do our best to not have burned edges and set the power just, you know, and we fiddle with that quite a bit. But if you've got a burned edge, I mean, that is weaker material. And if it's going to be, you know, like butt jointed and glued directly to a sidewall, for instance, and you don't have any triangle stock or something to, to make it stronger, the laser burnt edge is not going to be as strong as a fresh wooden edge. You know, 90% of the time it won't matter, but I, I, I do the same thing. I'll take a hard sanding block and just kind of sand it a little bit and take some of that off. The, uh, the sky box you might have seen is a small two-thirds size um, flight box that we've made. And it is all done out of plywood. And uh, that whole thing goes together with like a gel type CA or epoxy, but most guys are using gel type CA. But the plywood edges do burn more than balsa because it takes so much more power to cut through that. And mm-hmm. so in, in where, we, where the burnt edge meets uh, a piece from a perpendicular standpoint, it's, it's always a good idea to make sure that that's got some fresh wood that it can grab onto. So the answer is sometimes. Yeah, I know. I kind of talked around that, didn't I? <laughs> so, sorry. 
But no, that's good um, to know that there's uh, times when it matters and times when it doesn't. Right, right. I mean, if if you if you're putting a, a rib over spars and and uh, attaching it to a leading edge and to a trailing edge, there's so many contact points that 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 rib's not coming out regardless. But if the if the actual joint or glue joint is going to be under stress, and you've got a burnt edge attaching, you know, to me, I would try to get a fresh edge or at least take anything that was loose off. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if we we told everybody like when we first started talking to get. To your website, it's real simple, skybench.com. Skybench.com, yep. And it looks, you. I think we mentioned this before we started recording, but you will be at the future Toledo, Toledo RC swap meet uh, April 9th and 10th? Correct, and also at the Dayton Model Rama, which is coming up in April. Uh, that's like the 24th and 23rd, 24th, something like that. It's another big swap meet that's happening. Um, looking at my calendar yeah the 23rd 24th and 25th is the model rama so swap meets are coming back what's what's everyone thinks about and asks the question about is what about covid and i know at toledo they've said that if for any reason they can't have it that they will refund everyone's money and you know we we all want to be safe and even if you've been vaccinated please wear your mask you know that kind of thing but it's nice to see some events coming back so it's great yeah, the three of us, I think I speak for all three of us, we never made it to the original flavor of the Toledo show, and we're sad about that, but I'm interested to see what this new version turns out to be. Well, you know, it's the Toledo show, I, I in my uh, professional life, trade shows have changed over the last 20 years. You know, with the internet, you can get literature on, on people's websites, and it used to be trade shows was the only place you could see things, talk to people, and pick up literature and that kind of thing. And when Toledo was at the sports arena, I can remember walking around with bags of literature to the point where my fingers were turning blue. Well, then, as each decade went past, you'd go to Toledo, and everything you saw there, you had already seen on their website. And I, so I think that has some effect. Um, and, of course, the cost of hotels and, and that, you know. But um, Toledo had a great run, and, and the Weak Signals guys are to be commended for all the years that they did. This new Toledo is a different group. I think it's a group of the upstairs vendors that have gotten together because they want to continue to have a swap meet. So even though it's still at the Seagate Center, just like it always was, and it's a Toledo show, it's not intended to be the old Toledo. Um, you know, with the exhibits and um, the model, the uh, uh, contests that they used to have with all the great models out on the tables and stuff. I think it's it's a it's a fun fly, indoor fun fly, and then a huge swap meet. So they're trying to bring back some of the sparkle with that. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, it's going to be interesting. And the one thing I noticed that people should be aware of if they're thinking about going is the hours are fairly limited. It looks yes. like, like 10 to 5 Friday and then only till 2 p.m. on Saturday. And then I think at 2 p.m. they start the auction. So yep, yep correct. It's a, yep, the, the hours are limited. I'm, I can't remember the hours on the one in, in Dayton, Ohio, but but um, I can get you some information on that, and you guys can talk about it at a future show. Okay, good. Yeah. Now, speaking of old airplanes and events, Fitz and Lee, do you want to talk about your thing? Yeah, sure. We'll let, we'll let Fitz talk. He, Me? <laughs> oh, you, were you there, Lee? You were there, Lee. I was there, but he hasn't been talking for a while, so I'll let Fitz uh, talk about it. Oh, yeah, okay. He did get there first. Uh, I'll sprock and see about the show. Yeah, I would, uh, I've been looking forward to this show. I went last year at their inaugural event, and I had a good time. And so I look forward to coming back uh, this year and 
despite the weather looking a little wonky in the morning, it actually turned out to be fairly nice. Uh, and this event, they call it the, the throwback fly-in. I think it's models for anything older than, what, 1996, was it? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put one of these planes on the spot in a second. But, yes, they said 96. Yeah. <laughs> so but if it's a model that... there checking. Uh, it's loosely it, checked. It's know. the spirit. Of it's the spirit, yes. Yeah, uh, I think they had more people this year than last year. Um, there was over a couple dozen pilot registered, I think 14 or 15 when I last Where looked. Where were you at? This is at Space City RC Club in near Katy, Texas. West okay. Houston, basically. Uh, and it's the, the great guys at the club. They were accommodating. Uh, the grass was really nice. They had a really nicely mowed cut. Even my, uh, I brought some of my half a size planes out, and they were able to do some grass takeoffs, ground ground takeoff. So that's how you know the grass is really low, and the little tiny wheels on the half a can take off from the ground, uh, just barely. <laughs> but it did it. Uh, even had some control line flying out there. A guy had some doing some nice stunts with his control line plane. And let's see, as you as you mentioned, Lee eventually showed up with his plane. Uh, so I brought mainly I brought out three of my half eight powered planes and my big uh, Chaos sixty out there. Really good uh, selection of aircraft showed up. Some really neat stuff. Some big giant Delta wings. Uh, a whole bunch of trainers. Royal. We trainer. posted photos on our Facebook page. Yeah, we put a, a photo gallery of, of the events there. So, if you're listening right now, you can jump over to our Facebook page and see what was there. Yeah, check out the photos. There's some real gems of some stuff that comes came out and flew. It's funny to see a gaggle of trainers. They had you know half a dozen trainers all in the air at the same time, flying like kind of like the Warbird gaggle, but slower. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's in here's where the dilemma. <laughs> it's like they were all the, the the huge group were the Hobbyco Avastars, the original ones. Yeah. Okay. And I I looked at a manual for an Avastar and the copyright date on that was 1998, <laughs> I think. So Oh, they weren't they didn't go back to 96. I thought they I were don't, older. I don't think it went back to 96. I, I don't Oops. know. Maybe it was a revised book, but I'm like I was when I saw that I was like I'm pretty sure they came a little later than 96 <laughs> but like you said it was the spirit so well the party needs a there. pooper <laughs> so, well last I, year i was, didn't step on them and i didn't kick them out well I they just, said 96 last year and this is a year later so maybe 97 so that's kind of close okay. right they're gonna keep out of years is that it <laughs> yeah. okay yeah so what do you think there were like six avastars there maybe seven? Oh yeah yeah but yeah, I I came out there with my Hobby Shack Cessna 177. I picked that up at a swap meet. <laughs> I paid twenty and I paid nineteen dollars too much. Uh, so and it was just styrofoam. So I had to go in and do a lot of work on it. But it was it, gosh, I couldn't believe the original. You know, Hobby Shack Cessna 177 had to be well was set up for glow. I just can't imagine how much you know coating you had to do to to fuel protect that thing. So. Uh, but I had converted that to electric, I don't know, five years ago or so. So flew that out there. I've got a twisted wing, so the uh, the aileron trim is a little wonky. <laughs> but I had fun. I flew that. And Fitz was kind enough to let me fly his QT. And Terry, you were there when we were flying uh, Keith's little Hawk glider, correct? The one we uh, took up on the Spook? Yes. Yes. So he had a cradle that launched this... Hawk-looking glider from Old Timer. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah, like silhouette. Now, now exactly. Fitz, weren't you the one with hands on the bird when it hit that thermal? Was it me? 
Yeah, it had to be Fitz. Okay, I was. think it was Fitz. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so it, it, I thought the story was funny, but Fitz had that, you know, flying in a thermal. I was flying his QT, and I hit a thermal, and I had, like, the throttle cut all the way back, and that thing was just climbing, you know. <laughs> it was way up there, and then Fitz reaches over and starts pushing the down trim into the transmitter, you know. He wants to make sure it comes down. Well, it was so high, we couldn't hear the motor. And, like, Fitz and I, would every now and then, we'd, like, be turning our ear towards the <laughs> QT going, is it, is it still running? Yeah, yeah, it's still running. And then finally, Fitz goes, "Is it? You know, it's not. Lee, it's not running." <laughs> so you know, I fi- we finally just brought it down dead stick. But it, it had some good altitude up there, didn't it? It did. You picked the right time where the sun kind of came out and just hit a burst of a thermal bubble, and it just popped it right up there. Yeah. And I had a blast flying that. Did some snap rolls, did some loops. You know, nice plane, Fitz. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's a fun plane. It's more fun than I ever thought it would be. I and built- you have a throttle engine on that one? Yeah, it's got a throttle. It's got a, um, uh, one of those exhaust throttles that fits around a cylinder. Yeah. And so, like you said, he throttled back. You know you're up high when you can't hear an 049. <laughs> <laughs> when your teeth stop rattling. <laughs> yeah, because on the ground, that thing is loud. But uh, what is nice, you can throttle back and sort of kind of cruise around, and that's what uh, Lee was doing, and it just kept going up. So, oh, wow, nice. And also thanks to the uh, ground crew there for... Uh, helping out. This is like one of the few times Lee does not bring his soldering iron with him, but uh, just so happened someone had a. Was that in the shed? That soldering. Oh iron? yeah, yeah. There was a little bit of drama with the QT because I, I brought it specifically so that well, I wanted to fly it, but also if Lee was going to show up, I wanted him to fly it too because I promised I'd let him fly it. And so I get out to the field and I realize, of the three transmitters I brought, I didn't bring the transmitter for the QT. <laughs> Uh, so, but, um, I had another plane, uh, the mini Mamba, uh, which I'd already flown and, and I figured, ah, I've already flown it once and it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm not into that plane that much. So I said, well, let me just pull the receiver out of the Mamba and stick it in the QT and reprogram the other radio for it. And in the process of doing that, somehow one of the wires broke off of the battery connector, not the battery, the speaker controller connector, the, 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 I use a, a, a lithium pack, a two-cell lithium with a BEC module. So the BEC module ba- wires broke off. And I'm like, oh, great, another problem with this thing. And so I had to ask around to say, do you have a soldering iron? Do you have a soldering iron? And uh, finally one of the guys at, in the club says, I think we do. And he kind of rummaged around in, in their little uh, trailer thing. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, here it is. He found it. And he said it had never been used. I would be the first one to ever actually use it. They had just bought it brand new some time ago. And when I first plugged it in, it wouldn't turn on. Uh, I kept pressing the trigger. It's like a soldering uh, gun. And I, I, I repeatedly pressed the trigger, and nothing had lights on it, and I didn't see anything, and I tried touching it, nothing. And, it, and finally it started kind of turning on if I pressed the trigger halfway. And I said, okay, at least it's coming on. And eventually it, it, the trigger cleaned itself out and it would work on what, no matter which position I had it in. But it was just, you know, kept getting roadblocks and trying to get the QT flying. But finally I got it working, got it soldered up, got it running. Uh, the engine was running pretty good. And then I was able to get Lee to get a shot at it. So He was keeping up with the other little planes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't really, I still had a little bit rich. When it, that little motor unwinds, it will scream like the, it, it, it was booking. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely overpowered for the thing. So, uh, uh, Fitz, don't you have some fancy new tiny portable soldering iron slash lightsaber slash defibrillator thing? Yeah, Does it fit inside yeah. your pocket protector. 
No. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it would have been a good idea if I had brought it. So now I'm going to have to make it a, a, a standard thing to bring in my to-go box is that soldering iron because I, I just forgot to put it in the box. But yes, I have, hmm. a, I have a cordless, a portable soldering iron I can run off of three cell or four cell, whatever, lithium polymer battery packs. So yeah. it's really nice, but I didn't bring it for some stupid reason. So Okay. Anyways. Lesson learned. Yeah, lesson learned. But we had a good time. Weather uh, cooperated well enough for us to give some quite a bit of flying. Oh, and I got uh, tr- I got a trophy, award, what do you want to call it, third place for, for my uh, excellence and excellency of flying 049 aircraft what they said a stinging achievement in the area of excellence i'm yes. pretty sure it was it was during my flight that they appreciated the incredible <laughs> snap rolls and high altitude performance and landing dead stick <laughs> you're welcome all right so you get a piece of it too i'll cut off a piece and you can have i was the yeah, break off the part yeah. i was the yeah. pic pilot in command Let's see. Yeah. uh I guess I should talk about the other event we went to. We had. I had the last time I mentioned the boat float. Yeah. No. Say what it is. Come Everybody on. knows. Uh, Everybody okay. knows. This, say this it. This is fantastic flotilla of fun or something. That's <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that wasn't so bad, now was it? Uh, can I go home now? <laughs> I'm going to get. I'm going to get some ad company to to really promote that. <laughs> get a nice little jingle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, All right, but tell us about it. That was another success, Lee, uh, <laughs> that uh, the weather gods uh, smiled upon wait, us. And why are you saying it like Lee wasn't there? He promised he was going to go. He wasn't there. Oh. I sent in a, a backup squad. Uh-huh. <laughs> my friend Steve showed up, so that we were fine. <laughs> he was my stunt double. <laughs> All right. Well, we had a, we had a good crowd. The weather shit was really nice. Um, good sailing weather. Uh, slightly light winds, but not not too bad. Uh, the, the normal cadre. We had a mixture of power boats and sailboats. And guy had brought out a steamboat. His, he said he had not run it. In fact, that was Troy. Troy Black from. Uh, he's in vaguely in the Houston area. He's, I think he's a two hour drive away. No, not maybe not that far. But uh, I know Troy no from going to up Scott. I presume. What's that? I assume he's no relation to Scott. No, no, but you guys are you guys are piquing my interest. I didn't realize that we might talk about boats. I've been a member of the Indianapolis Admirals RC Model Boat Club for about oh, really? fifteen years. Oh wow! Yeah. So oh well, I, shoot. Let's, the, we should have like a part two of this show for just you and Fitz to yeah. talk about his flotilla of fun. We should. We should. It's a it's a really good strong club here in Indianapolis. So a lot of fun. <laughs> hey, this is where we start talking about doing our little. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Patreon, you know, special <laughs> releases, <laughs> members only. Yeah. yeah, there we go. This will mm-hmm. be a members only uh, uh, audio podcast for you guys. There you go. That sounds like fun. Well, Scott, this is a um, a uh, once a quarter boating event I host here in, in town. It, it actually started as a bunch of model airplane guys, guys in our club that I found out had boats. And I thought, hey, there's a nice little pond here in town. Why don't we just get together once every once in a while and run our boats together? And it has expanded to basically include everybody in the Houston area. Um, and we get we get pulled, leads way across town in the Cypress area. And him and, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Phil uh, and uh, yeah, Steve. Phil, Phil and Steve, and I think he brought a new person with him. They, they, came, they came down. Uh, we always seem to get new faces. Even this time, we got a few new faces that showed up. 
people knew that. Oh, well, you know, it's, it. it's interesting. Our, our our boat club is, and I don't know if you guys are an organized club, but there's a lot of crossover from you know. There's some RC car guys that participate. There's RC airplane guys. You know, the 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 fun is still there, and we do fast electric racing. We also have a sailing contingent, and then scale and mm. submarines. So it's you know hey. whatever you're interested in is fun. It's yeah. like that. It's just a little fun. It's yep. a fantastic flotilla of fun. That's why it's, we call it that. Well, yeah. and, the, and the obvious the obvious attraction of boats we all laugh about is unless you drop it, you're probably going to have it forever. You know. So. <laughs> well, I've lost. No, I've lost, lost no, we had one guy. We, I was going to say we had <laughs> Fitz lost his underwater, and we had oh, one guy whose oh. boat was sinking. He jumped in after it. Well, yeah, yeah, what yeah that, that, that does happen from time to time, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, this is all very low-key. We don't do any official racing. It's not an officially formed club. Though we do throw out some buoys. In fact, I lost a buoy. Um, uh, I usually throw out a couple of buoys for the sail guys that kind of go around. Yeah. And I have the buoys on a spool, the, the string. So I have a weighted buoy with a, a large uh, sinker on it. And I have a spool of uh, uh, twine, whatever you want to call it, and another weight and stuff. But I didn't unwind... The, the 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 string long enough I thought because I didn't, wasn't planning on throwing it very far and it turns out I didn't unwind it long enough so when I threw the buoy in the weight it pulled the whole spool and everything else into the water oh, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it just went in and sank <laughs> and the buoy didn't have the uh, the the graciousness to even pop back up even though I threw everything oh out. so you so you lost the whole thing I lost the whole thing and it was sunk no. in the water yeah Granted, it wasn't expensive, but it was just annoying. It's like, ah, rah, rah, rah. So we had one sure, buoy yeah. to sail around. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it, you're right. We do get a, a really good mix of people. We get some speedboat people. We've had people come up with RC cars and trailers on their mm-hmm. pulling their RC boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, neat. Uh, and like I mentioned, a guy brought, Troy brought his steam-powered boat. I think it's the first time I've seen a steam-powered boat run. And he had not run it for like seven years, I think he said. And so he knew about the event. He cleaned it up, got it running again. It was kind of neat to see. It was old uh, Midwest steam engine. And, uh, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was yeah. funny because he had to bring it in every once in a while to oil it. It would kind of seize up. Well, I think they use like Sterno or something like that. Or or maybe it's like a little tablet. Uh, he, We've got a couple of them in our club too. Yeah, he had Sterno. Sterno, okay. It was yeah. store on, Sterno under the boiler and it had single piston um, engine, no throttle, just steering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just got to get it running, plop it in the water, and kind of put putt around for, for for a few minutes or so. And bring it back in, give it a couple drops of oil, and pop it back out again. Yeah. Uh, so we we have a lot of fun. If you look at our like like Lee said, check out our Facebook page. There's some pictures there. I should have. I meant to post some more pictures, but I haven't got around to it. But uh, uh, Troy was gracious enough to show some that he picks, and you can see the nice mix of sailboats and whatever else we. And we've had submarines out there too as well. Submarines are amazing. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of pre-bought stuff that you... I mean, I know you can buy some pre-made submarines, but a lot of the guys really enjoy building all their own little um, ballast chambers and things like that. It's, it's yeah. You know, this the RC model hobbies, there's just so many uh, avenues that you can go in, but that's what makes it a great hobby, you know. It is. You're absolutely right. That's uh, It's unlimited, so to speak, and mm-hmm. lots of fun. So anyways, uh, it was a really good time that we had there, and I uh, look forward to the next one, probably another three months or so, so we'll let you know when that happens. And I promise I'll make that one. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. heard that before. <laughs> promises, promises. <laughs> anyways, 
Um, what do we have next? Lee, do you have something on your plate? Well, I have some great news. Are you ready? Yeah. Best is coming, folks. <laughs> Best is on the books. Thank uh-huh. God. Yeah. After <laughs> COVID be future. damned. <laughs> we'll put everybody in suits. <laughs> little, those little paint suits and masks da, and we'll da, still da, fly, da, damn da, it. Da, da, da. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, hazmat suits <laughs> are not optional. We're all in bubbles. We're all in our own little bubble. Required, exactly. That'd be awesome. Uh, guys, put it on your calendars. Best 2021, October 2nd and 3rd. And for those of you coming out of town, I'm positive they will allow those of you to arrive on the 1st. But where? Where? Last year you couldn't I, find I'm not, a venue. I'm not. It's going to be at Tri-County Barnstormers in New Waverly, Texas. Okay. Back to its old, back to its roots. <laughs> uh, keeping it's it real? Uh, is what? Are you keeping it real now? We're going to keep it real. It's, all right. it's all about the flying. It's all about the, the camaraderie. And it'll be awesome. And that's because I'm partly in charge. <laughs> there you go. I'm buying the pizza. Oh, gosh. I'm so excited. I mean, I know it's not even there, and I know it might be awful weather, but darn it, we're going to be there, right, Fitz? Oh, yeah. I'll be there. Yeah. So, Scott, it's a it's an all-electric flying event that we do out at, and at, not just electric. I, we've had gliders there, too, because we did great, some great. fun aero tow. What, was yeah. it car tow? It was car tow. Yeah. Car tow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, cause I also had my DLG out there. Uh, it's, it's yeah. basically just, you know, non-gas, non-glow. Uh, and we have a lot of fun and that's how I met my good friends, Tom and Jerry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jerry <and Fitz>. uh, <laughs> my buddies. And if, if you know me, that's just one of the most favorite things in my life. It's something I look forward to every year and I'm already starting to build stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my list together. Because it'll come up before you know it. So put that on your calendar, guys. And if you uh, want, go ahead and participate in the uh, always fun thread that's on RC groups. Go look for it under events. And I am working on a flyer. I'll try to have it done this week. And start asking your questions or you know posting photos of stuff that you plan on bringing. And let's uh, let's bring it back. Because last year just stunk. You know, <laughs> just yeah, so so many good events went by the wayside. Yeah. So what are the dates again, Lee? October 2nd and 3rd, 2021. It's Saturday and Sunday. However, if you're traveling from out of... <laughs> Saturday and Sunday, how quaint. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. Nobody's there for less than three days. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I was trying to throw that in there. If you're traveling, no, come in on Friday. Yeah. And, and I'm working, so I don't think I can sneak in the Thursday. <laughs> I could try. <laughs> I can't. I'm really sick. <laughs> I, hey, I, I fi out there, right? <laughs> a, a remote broadcast. Come on, Lee. Well, yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I am who I am, so I might get in trouble for this. So, you know, guys, back me up. But I, I am going to talk with some guy who, you know, is an editor of some magazine of some company I might know and try to get this to be a, an article. And it would be great if my buddy Terry could possibly fly down and participate in that and maybe team up with his Betty Fitz to work together and we do photos and we do text and we make a really awesome article for that magazine. Oh, man. Was, I, everybody. was I vague enough? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Terry, uh, you huh. can come in on Thursday. Uh, okay. I have room and board here for you. 
Okay, good. I don't want to stay at your house, no offense. I want to stay at the field. Well, okay. How are you getting there? Is the, are you going <laughs> to take a direct flight to Tri-County? <laughs> You're going to have to need a Draco. I'll pull a <laughs> <T.B>. <laughs> Cooper, pop out the back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, guys, uh, do me a favor. Start harassing Terry on our Facebook page, making sure he comes to best this year. I do not respond well to harassment or bullying. <laughs> you will respond well to donations, though, to pay for your flight, though, right? And, yeah, I respect bribery, though. There yeah. you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, so although that is one of the big events I'm talking about, uh, Mr. Ray is about to post something on our Facebook page, and we'll be uh, talking about it more and more as it comes up. It'll happen after Best. But we have been involved with a group that is putting together a show at round or in round top texas excuse me it is going to be called the round top rc expo and it is our little spin on the toledo show i think what you had talked about scott about you know the the kind of people that were there with the camaraderie the the history of that show we three did not get to experience in that so it's a huge regret but the guys putting on this round top rc expo have been to toledo and they kind of maybe feel the loss so their goal is to bring that kind of atmosphere here to texas oh that'd be so great yeah we are already we already have the website it's rtrcexpo.com please go check it out We've already got a handful of vendors that are uh, sponsoring the show. I'd love to get some guy that is on our show right now who's listening <laughs> to uh, maybe uh, participate in this expo, but we would love to do it. It's, it's a three-part show. They're going to have a uh, – the Texas Warbird Thunder team is putting on their Texas Warbird Thunder over round top fly-in at Thunder Field. It's a special field that's being built just for this show. I've seen it. Fitz and I have flown on it. Fitz, what do you think? It's very nice. It's lots of open area. It's fantastic. It's very, very nice. Yeah. (laughs) And we are making a lot of accommodations for the pilots there. We're working on a lot of seating areas. Uh, It's a huge runway. We will provide more and more details as the uh, field is being constructed. But in the main part of town round top is famous for antique shows and it's a kind of a running joke like nascar when there's no event going on there's like two thousand people but when an event comes in it's like twenty thousand people and so this place this town is built to bring in a lot of folks off the road to come into these uh, flea markets and antique shows and they're going to do the same thing for the rc side there is a section called um What's the building called, Fitz? Starts with a C. The compound? The compound. Thank you. God damn it. The compound. <laughs> <laughs> Where is yeah. this place? <laughs> you can add that joke in a second. So all the vendors and swap meet locations will be in a place called the compound. It's this huge facility with tons of different little buildings. Uh, the vendor area and the swap meet have their own buildings, but there's going to be food and fun. And if the ladies want to come, if you want to bring your lady with you, you have them drop you off and then they can take the cars back into the, into town to go look at all the uh, antique sh- stores and so forth. But uh, it's hard for me to give you the whole spiel until I put more out there, but go to RC excuse me, rtrcexpo.com. Check out the site. We will start uh, doing more info or sharing more info on the podcast and our Facebook page as soon as it arrives. I'm planning to go there in a couple of weeks with uh, Austin's Mavic Air, excuse me, the Mavic Mini, and do some aerial shots of the runway. And we'll start sharing that too. Mm. 
I'm on the website. It looks really nice. Thank you. I helped put yeah. that together with That's a beautiful. really wonderful uh, website designer. So shout out to my friend, my friend Lizzie, who did that. Nice job. So what are the dates, Lee? Now, the event starts uh, November 11th. And I'm trying to think of, I don't know what the times are. We haven't, like, again, this, we're just putting it together, but we wanted to, you know, it's, um, you know, 11th through the 13th. That's what the dates we have. Uh, we don't have the schedule yet, but it's building. I mean, we've been having meetings at least once a week. And, uh, you know, my part right now has been helping to build the flyer. We just uh, finished the full page ad that's going to go in model aviation. So you'll see that in, in your, hopefully, coming to your mailbox soon or your digital edition of model aviation. And I'm really excited. Uh, not as excited as best. You know, it's hard for me to get more excited than best. <laughs> but you might have as, a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> but I am. So uh, anyway, there you go. That was the that was. The, I couldn't tell y'all earlier until the ad was in Model Aviation. But now that it is, we'll talk more and more about it. And a huge, huge shout out to the Texas Warbird Thunder guys because they are the ones who are really going to put on the show at the uh, thunder field it's it's actually named for them and they're the ones who are getting to design it so you know it's going to be awesome do they have a trench dug out in the middle of the runway so they can do low passes below ground level <laughs> don't give me any ideas <laughs> <laughs> yeah if they heard that they're going oh my god we're going to go look at next week and there's going to be a trench there <laughs> <laughs> And I will say things have changed. There actually, and I'll, I'll freely admit this: we had another location for the field, but after we started flying there, a lot of us were saying, "You know, it's pretty tight, yada yada," and uh, we got a new area not too far away. So it's it's even better. So, you know, good things are happening. All right, that sounds good. It'd be like uh, Toledo South. Yeah, it looks like a great event. So, just just the compound, the pictures of the compound. It looks like a really neat neat place. Yeah, it's got a real rustic look to it. Yeah. Well, the the cool story is that the gentleman who's putting this on, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say who it is yet because I, I don't know how much information I'm supposed to give, but this awesome fella <laughs> who lives down there. They, this righteous dude. This righteous dude, this awesome Texan. He was looking to add an event between two of the antique uh events uh so this was like that one dead air time i guess that one free weekend and it was just perfect i mean because the november weather here is is great so we shall see all right so it's a flying event slash expo slash swap i don't know swap meat slash barbecue everything in texas is a barbecue yeah there'll be barbecue (laughs) there we'll have some food trucks all right and we'll have a lot of pilots so if if you are wanting to attend and fly, you can you can reach out online because I'll be part of the email there. But you're also welcome to reach out to us directly, and we can fill you in. But it's it's a warbird event. If you're going to be a pilot, it does have to be a, a giant scale warbird. So I think it's 80 inches is the minimum. So or 60 for biplanes. 60 for biplanes and 80 for fixed wing. Yeah, but. We've got it. <laughs> Everything's big in Texas, so we will have a lot of them there. All right, cool. Yeah, really cool. Somebody mentioned talking about some emails we received. Are we doing I that did. Or? Okay, is that something we're going to do? I can if you want. Would you like okay. to talk about that? Well, we mentioned that none of us had experience on these uh, open TX radios, specifically the uh, Radio Master. Was it TX16? TX16S? Yeah. And we had a couple people 
respond. And the Tyrannus. And the Tyrannus, and the Fursky, and the Fly Sky, or whatever. Uh, but most of them have been positive that they like the OpenTX. Uh, one person here said it has a steep learning curve, but in my opinion, are so much easier to set up new models. So that's nice. Another person here said the telemetry is incredible. The, the amount of data you get, I mean, probably more than you need, right? What does it say here? This one guy mentioned I get battery voltage, current, remaining battery life, VTX power level, GPS coordinates, altitude of the airplane, like a heads-up display. Yeah. Okay, I just need a transmitter that has more than six channels <laughs> <laughs> and does what I tell them to do. You know, when I pull back, the servo moves. So uh, what do you fly with, Scott? I am, I've always been a Futaba guy, and then I've also switched to Spectrum. You know, they did a good job of, of um, marketing and a lot of really nice 2.4 stuff. So, But I also still fly with some of the Futaba FM radios. My PCMs are... Still okay at their local club field and very reliable. I put new batteries in them every couple of years. Well, shoot, I, I, wow. I have to ask, do you have at the Nostalgia events at Nats, are people still using 72 megahertz? No, the AMA uh, requires that you use 2.4 at their facility. <laughs> because of, well, you know, there's, there's also other events going on, like when we had the uh, sailplane Nats last year, the helicopter guys were there and oh. free flight guys. And so, you know, just to, just to make sure everything doesn't yeah. interfere any more than it could possibly to begin with. It's now, like here's what they need to do. They need to bring the heads of every event to the table, and they all draw straws. <laughs> <laughs> whoever gets the, the smallest straw, they get to have 72 megahertz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, that's a whole other discussion, but I can remember back in the 90s when, uh, was it the, the uh, CB companies or cell phone companies that were trying to take our frequencies away, and then we had them um, set aside for us, you know, with the FCC, and it is one of those things, if we don't use them, we will lose them at some point, I'm sure, because right. the spectrum's only so wide. But I, I don't know that that's a bad thing. You know, 2.4 is wonderful, but eventually someone's going to want those frequencies for something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't thought about that. Hmm. All right, Lee, did that cover all the emails? Uh, that and glue. Oh right. right, but we kind of talked. We we talked about that with Scott. Like what glue do you use? I, I mean, there was no fighting. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, people tend to be more passionate about their radios than than their glues. Yeah, yeah, the radio discussions are intense. <laughs> yeah, every time you, you see a thread like, "What radio should I buy?" He's like, "Oh, there's a can of worms that's just yep. waiting to get opened." Here we go. <laughs> Not and open a can of worms. Explode a can of worms. And usually if the question is, what's the least expensive, reliable radio I can get, you know, the answers are, you're in the wrong hobby. <laughs> so, And going back to glue, I've seen a couple of responses to that, and it seems like they, they have a common thread that I use this glue for this, but this one for this, and so n nobody has one go-to that they use for most things. So. Well, and we're, we're all purists, but at 11 o'clock at night when you're trying to glue something and you run out, you know, you're going to look for what's next by. <laughs> right. Yeah. The best one is the one you've got. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Where's that bottle of Ambroid? Yeah. <laughs> it tube, did have a good me, it did, tube. It did have a good smell. I remember that. <laughs> it had a great smell. <laughs> and I think, honestly, it's funny, Scott, I think the Olympic that I have, my dad's, is built with Ambroid, and he actually covered it in transparent orange. Oh, so cool. I guess you couldn't see it, but sure, I know right, it, yeah. I know it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to the transmitters. Fitz, were you the one mentioning Jumper TX 
that you knew someone who had one. I forgot what you had mentioned on the last show. Uh, no, I don't think I know anybody with Jumper. I think uh, Tenaris. Not Tenaris. Yeah, Tenaris. The, uh, Tyrannus. Tyrannus. Ah. Tipopotamus. Yeah, there's a bunch of people I know that have those the Tyrannus from the Frisky, Frysky, whatever you want to call it. But uh, don't. I thought about getting a, a Jumper at, at one point. I think that's maybe what you're thinking. That was well, one I'm, of those multi-protocols. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out to our buddy Nicholas. He sent me a message saying that Radio Master is a spinoff from Jumper because the people in Jumper didn't like the non-compliant stuff in with OpenTX, so they wanted to make it better, I guess. So, so Radio Master is yeah. a better Jumper. Could be. Or, or no, okay. Yeah, sort of a spinoff, which I th- was interesting. <laughs> didn't know that. And I also found it interesting that when I looked up Radio Master Radios on Amazon or something, the prices vary greatly. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there are certain models. I mean, they'd say TX16S, but, you know, I mean, obviously you have to make sure you got mode one, mode two. But, yeah. I mean, who knows? There, is there a heli version? So You have to yeah. buy them with Bitcoin. Oh, God. Maybe. <laughs> well, well that's, I think that's all I got on that. Well, the point is those radios are very popular. And I think, you know, here in the States, I think we've got a lot of choices. But I think a lot of other countries... Uh, because of the price point and whatnot and availability, they, they tend to be really popular. And with the drone guys, too. Those guys tend to be very independent in their thinking about their radios. And they require a lot of programming options, which, That's from what too, I'm understanding, yeah. this is what you get. It's not as user-friendly, yeah. but you get all the all the flexibility. Yeah, I think that's what the email says. It's basically the limit is your imagination with the, a lot of the OpenTX stuff. So, uh, so we do appreciate you people writing in. It's some good information. So, thank you. Yeah, maybe one yeah. of us will crawl out of our caves and try one of those new OpenTX things at some point. Grog, grog-like radio. <laughs> if I see one for fifty nine ninety five, I'll grab it. <laughs> That's my limit. All right, well, you just might. Uh, before we go, anybody got any workbench stuff they want to share? Scott, you too? Do you all have anything you're working on right now that you'd like to talk about? Well, I started on a flare sop with pup about three years ago, and... Then Skybench happens, so it's got cobwebs on it. But I haven't done a, you know, it's I, I don't I haven't built an airplane this winter, even though I've been dying to, and that would normally be a, a, a winter project for me. But I have been working on airplane kits and parts and pieces, so it kind of feels the same way. Now, how big is that pup? That's uh, the wingspan on it is uh, about fifty inches. It's going to oh, be. Okay. I was going to use an OS forty eight surpass on it. It's a it's oh, a little bit bigger. Balsiose has a sixth scale, and it's a tad bit larger than that. But um, so it's you know the kind of thing you could maybe fit in the back of an SUV with both wings on. Mm, okay, yeah, nice. Yeah. Will it balance with that engine, or are you going to have to add a little ballast? That's a good question. The the flare one has an extended fuselage. There's a little bit more moment in the front and on the tail than is scale. I think. You know, it's one of those things where if you look at a real one, you'd probably see it, but you wouldn't notice it otherwise. So I think that they solved the problem by, by pushing the front firewall forward a little bit. Oh, interesting. It's, it's, a, it's an English kit uh, that Flair made. So, yeah. Cool. Other than that, I hope to have a, a sailplane under construction. The, the Skybird, you know, you, you hate to take a kit out that you're going to send to somebody else, but I really wanted to make one of those for myself to use this coming summer. So we'll see. I'm just not never enough hours in the day. That's for sure. All right. If we could all just eliminate sleep, 
We could get so much more done. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Running a business is a lot like work. So. Yeah. So. Well, a product that I've been meaning to talk about for the last couple of shows but haven't yet is a uh, powered paraglider, RC version that I've been working on. This cool. is, I think we talked about a little bit on previous show before I actually had one in my hand, but this is a, the one that Hacker makes. What is it called? RC Cloud. It's a big thing. I think if you flatten out the the glider section, the canopy, it's almost 90 inches. And then, you know, once you put it under tension, it's a little bit less. But it's a really interesting airplane. I should say aircraft. And so when probably on our next show, I'll go into more detail about it and my experiences in coming to grips with how different this model is than any other flying model I have. So I can summarize by saying I like it a lot and it's really neat but it's also completely different from anything else I have. Oh, I enjoyed the video. Oh, yeah, just a few seconds of a clip there from one of my early flights. So, yeah, it's a pretty cool airplane. Aircraft, excuse me. Hmm. And right. fits. what's on your bench? Uh, kind of a mess. You saw the picture I sent you of the, the fan? <laughs> yeah, that was in the ceiling. That's not what's on your roof. This is what's on your workbench. Well, to get to the fan, I had to remove a whole bunch of stuff that was in the way, which is now all over my workbenches. <laughs> so my workbenches are filled with uh, uh, boxes of model planes, some that I forgot I had, uh, and various other things. So uh, really between projects at the moment, nothing really. I want a couple of things I want to get started on, but I just, you know, I got to get that all wired up and fixed and so almost done with it so hopefully next week next show i'll have uh actually be able to talk about whatever is on my workbench so at this point nothing all right junk <laughs> that was a long way to say nothing <laughs> junk, I, junk. I, I put in a ceiling fan there you go <laughs> <laughs> well that's part of my heat abatement program for this coming summer <laughs> all right well then um, i'll quickly run through mine if you want oh were you gonna say something scott no, I was going to say it does kind of have a, have a ceiling fan propeller kind of a thing, so it, maybe that counts. <laughs> yeah, it's got a propeller. It's a fan. You make I it got, sound my, like an 049. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my workshop is in my garage. It's a detached garage, So, and summer's coming, and it gets really hot, so there's an actual vent in there, and so I thought, well, we put a fan up in there to blow out air through the vent to help cool down things a little bit, so... So I can blow the really hot air out of the rafters and suck in less hot air through the door. <laughs> yeah, I'll take whatever I can get, yes. <laughs> Open the refrigerator. And, and I've been putting up more radiant barrier, too, while I was at it. So Yeah, you said that made a huge difference, so that would yeah. be interesting. So I've added probably 50% more radiant barrier than I had before. So <laughs> Pretty soon he'll have a little freezer in his <laughs> garage. <laughs> hey, I, I won't complain if I do that. <laughs> And the radiant barrier keeps out the voices that talk to him, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, to finish Austin's plane, the reason why we did not show up to your fantastic flotilla of fun fits is Austin and I went to SCOBY to fly his Dynam Grand Cruiser. And we had done some more work to it, and he needed a full video for the engineering project so we went out there and flew it but prior to that i built a paint booth in my garage austin i went to home depot bought a whole bunch of pvc and plastic and actually made a paint booth you can buy pvc in houston again 
Yes, yes, you can. Well, I'll tell you, they they had it in carts, man. It was huge. <laughs> Overcompensated. But the last time I painted, I may have mentioned it. Uh, sorry, I don't remember, but I was really upset because I was painting some of his aircraft, and I had a fan with filters and so forth. But I got a lot of overspray in the garage, and especially on a couple of boats, and it made me angry. You don't like me when I'm angry. So <laughs> I, I got frustrated and went ahead and we just, you know, it wasn't too much money. It was less than 100 but we built this nice paint booth you could stand in and got the fan hooked up in there and painted his plane. It worked out great. And while I was in there, I went ahead and finished painting my Bee Eater. And that is that tiny U-Control plane I bought at AMA Expo East. The one made in Israel. Yes. So I uh, finished yeah. the paint. I finished all the paint coats. So I've put a light sand to it and I'm about to put clear on it so I can finish using my paint booth. So that's one. Number two, I started work on the Seagull P47 by removing all the servo uh, covers for the wings and then realized the servos are, I bought don't fit. <laughs> so nah, don't. I, I went for bigger heavy duty servos like I used in my Corsair, but this sucker doesn't need, it just needs nine gram metal <laughs> gear servo. <laughs> So I'm at a little stall point there, but I uh, took the cowl off and things. So I'm going to start working on the motor. Well, and they don't fit, as in they don't fit the cutouts, or they're too tall or too thick to even they're too fit tall. in the wing. They're, the, okay. the servos are too tall, so I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get the right servo. So anyway, Just that's cut a hole in the top sheeting. It'll be fine. I'm not. No, never mind. I'm going to get the right servos. I'll save the other ones for a better project someday. Uh, the phase three P38 is almost done. Waiting for the receiver so I can shove everything in that tiny. You know that. We talked about it, that tiny, tiny cockpit to hold yeah. the battery and so forth. But uh, it looks good. I got my new spinners and prop adapters in, too. So I will I will probably t- do a maiden flight with the stock set up, and then I'll upgrade to this other, the same thing I did with my last one. I, I pulled all the stock spinner stuff out and put in this other good Hyperion adapters. Can you still and, get that? Yeah, yeah. In fact, this is... <laughs> I didn't mean to go on this road, but allerc.com was the company I used many, many years ago yeah. to buy parts and like my Hyperion e-meter, so e-meter and my chargers and my first, I think, not my first, but I think I bought a GWS a DC3, just the foam kit, and okay. I made that into a C47. So that was years ago. It was a long time ago. But I thought they were out of business. But I guess either someone bought them out or he just, uh, you know, took a pause and came back. But sure enough, they sold all the parts I ordered. Yeah, oh, nice. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. So all ERC has Hyperion parts if you're looking for that. Nice. And that's about it for my workshop. I already told you guys my AC quit. So I got it temporarily working and I've already got a quote for a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did that last year at our house. That's a pricey expenditure these days. Ain't it? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm to the point, though, where um, <laughs> it was, I, uh, hey, Mason, if you're listening to the show, you made me laugh. He goes, I just listened. Uh, I just got 30 minutes of learning what uh, <laughs> the corrosion stuff. I was like, what is he talking about? I forgot I mentioned about you know, the corrosion in my uh, air conditioner. Uh, but the guy I'm going to buy this new one from, he's actually going to take out the evaporator coil and spray it with his protective stuff. So hopefully I'm one step ahead of the, the game. But you need that undercoating. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to double coat my evaporator coil. Was uh, he wearing a white leisure suit when he sold you that? <laughs> it was only $500 more. I think that's well. <laughs> 
it extends the warranty by a year. Uh, long story short, I'm, I'm getting a new AC eventually. But all right, I think that's our show. I think that about wraps things up. Wow, what a show it was! Right, was it a show or a telethon? <laughs> Call now your donations. <laughs> I think it was a great way to spend spend some time together. It's fun to talk. You know, it's people that share the same hobbies and same interests. You know, we're we're a unique bunch, but but uh, it's good. Everything's, time flies every, by. everything's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost feel like it was, he was going to say, "Thanks, neighbor." <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny part is Lee is usually telling us we've got to keep it under two hours, but he was driving us to hit all these topics tonight. So, and what did I say today before we hit record? You were this good is, with it. I said this was going to be a long night. Yeah, and we still didn't even talk about the Texas bill. So. Yeah, and right. and Scott, that's not blaming you at all because I loved your conversation. And you were like, "See, you're you're in my side when we talk about gliders. Those guys don't know nothing." But that's how that's <laughs> hey. how I grew up. My my dad got me started with gliders. He would not let me fly a powered plane until I could spot land a glider and know how to store yep. my energy. So yep. I think you and I are on the same page. These other guys, they know nothing. It's a great it's a great <laughs> way to learn. Yep. <laughs> But, Scott, I had a great time uh, tonight. Thanks for joining us. Me too. A lot of fun. Thank you. All right, Fitz, uh, wrap it up, buddy. Okay. Well, you heard the man. Uh, if you will post information on Scott's website on our normal uh, social media stuff and things. So look for it. Take a look at his site. He's got some nice stuff. Hopefully he'll fill in some of those coming soon slots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially that Windlord. Hit, hit, yep. Hit. That w- yeah, that would be neat. That'd be neat. It, it, it it's all happening. It, yeah, it's all happening. It just takes time. And I'll make sure and share your stuff on our social media as well. We're on Facebook and Instagram. <gasps> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yep. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board for joining us for this uh, extended version of our RC Roundtable. XL. <laughs> uh, XXL. <laughs> XXL, yes. XL size, yeah. There's your title, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Uh, so uh, we certainly hope we cross paths in, in the real life one day. Maybe Terry may be the first one, but uh, hopefully we'll uh, like to meet you in person and shake your hand and caress your airplanes. There you go. Maybe and, not in uh, that order, but... Well, yeah, yeah, that's, don't that's what I was thinking, too. Make, make sure <laughs> those sentences don't get wrapped up. <laughs> now, in the event in Texas, sounds really cool. That would become fun fun to come to as a flyer or as a as a uh, exhibitor. Uh, well, yes, or both. Yeah, it's a great s- event. We always look forward to it. We pull in people from out of town and whatnot. We've had people come in from California and stuff to the event, so mm. uh, it's definitely uh, just a real nice, low key, high fun event. It's uh, it's a, I make a point to go to it every year. I don't well, I just it feels like the world's going to start to come back to normal here, so that's great. Vaccines are getting out, and people are starting to travel again. Yeah, yeah, things are starting to open up. I saw my first sign today, it was very subtle. I went into a place to get uh, a, a little one of those uh, tapioca places, and the sign to wear the mask was not there anymore. Wow. wow. I was like, oh, wow. That's just <laughs> first place I've seen it said it doesn't have a sign saying wear your mask. So I think that's a shape of things to come, at least yep. here in Texas. So interesting. Uh, all right, well, um, again, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. And we really appreciate your time you took to, to talk to us about the wonderful world of gliders. Uh, and hopefully, uh, maybe in the future, I might build one of your kits myself. 
that would yeah. that'd be great. And and uh, you know, happy to come back again if you need somebody to spend some time with. This was fun. I really enjoyed it. So. Oh sure. You guys had any last words? Thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Snuffleupagus. All right. On that uh, word of wisdom, we leave you for next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com, where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts, where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.